This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast on AllComic.com, episode 35. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Sid, and guess what happened two weeks ago? Anime Expo happened, that's right, it happened again this year, as it does every year, and now, a year later from episode 12 of this podcast, Anime Expo happened, we have another Anime Expo special episode, although that will not be the central focus of the episode, because we do have two manga we will be discussing this week, we are going to be discussing two LGBT manga that have been recently released that are really making waves, and those are My Brother's Husband by Gengaro Tagami and My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness by Nagata Kabi. And we're going to be talking about those later on on the show with Maxie Bernard, and it's going to be a good discussion. But first, again, Anime Expo happened, and we have a ton of news to go through. But even before we get to that, we still have our bit of serialization news to cover. And basically, our first topic of news is that Richiro Inagaki and Boichi are basically collaborating to basically write and draw a pretty popular new series in Weekly Shonen Jump known as Dr. Stone. You can also read that in the uh, Viz Media Weekly Shonen Jump digitally every week. And it looks like not only did the first volume come out this past July 4th, but apparently Inagaki himself has apologized to fans who couldn't uh, buy the volume because apparently it sold out pretty quickly. It's a smashing success. Apparently, yeah. Um, and uh, a second printing of the first volume should be in bookstores within the next week or two. So this is some really awesome news. I believe we never learned kind of went through the same thing where I'm going to say they probably underestimated the popularity of these series enough to where they thought, oh, well, we could print out maybe a couple hundred copies or something just throwing an estimate out there. I don't know for sure, but we could just we could just print out this much, and oh, it'll probably sell. I don't know. And then all of a sudden, they're gone in the blink of an eye, mm-hmm. essentially. So I'm hoping that this is because you know there's demand for these series, and not just because oh we didn't print enough copies. It's it's probably one of the two. Uh, we can't really say for sure, but like it's still a good sign nonetheless. I think they're clearly succeeding. Chewacious expectations, which is. A good sign, a great sign, because I really enjoy both Dr. Stone and We Never Learn. And it's great to see that they're both rocking it in terms of success and popularity. And yeah, Dr. Stone in particular, I can't wait to see it continue to grow in popularity and as a story, because it is a treat to read every week. So I do I do just want to say real quick, because like I said, we haven't really been talking about Dr. Stone too much. We, we haven't really haven't gotten the chance to talk about it much, even even when it first came out, because I think we were all pretty much in agreement. Yeah, it's good. Like, what else do you have to say? Yeah, it's an it was an afterthought on the Black Clover discussion podcast. There's not even like a fully released video on it on the YouTube channel, because the discussion was so short, because everyone just agreed that, yeah, it's good. And that's it. That's all we had to say about it. <laughs> Which, that's great, but, like, you know, at some point, I think maybe when Dr. Stone hopefully surpasses a year's worth of serialization in Jump, I think maybe we could actually dedicate some real discussion to it to kind of make up for that, because it's good, but we should probably do what most people don't really do on the internet, and actually explain why it's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we definitely need to have a more in-depth discussion on it, and I'm sure that we'll have plenty to say as the story unfolds, because already so much has happened that's worth really digging into and talking about. Yeah, like, I- I've been kind of catching up with it a bit, because I'm always like a month or two behind on Jump. 
unfortunately. But I've been kind of catching up with it lately, and wow, I really love reading the series week to week. It is really good. Honestly, I think it just gets better and better every week. Like, it's it's actually been a very entertaining read, and I'm, like, so excited to see where it goes. It's a bit unpredictable, I feel like, and I think that's a good thing for a weekly uh, serialization. But, oh, yeah, definitely expect a Manga Mavericks episode about this sometime in the future, hopefully within the next year or so, when there's enough of it to talk about. But, yeah, so that's coming up. Well, Inagaki is an incredibly inventive storyteller. I've been experiencing that myself. By rereading Show 21, well, reading it for the first time in my case. And yeah, even back then, Inigaki's approach to storytelling is masterful in how clever it is and, like, defying your expectations and infusing clever comedy into a really engaging story. And that has only proven true with Dr. Stone as well. And it just makes it incredibly refreshing read. Yeah, there's a reason why I Shield 21 is, like, my second favorite, like, comic of all time. Like, it's really good, and I hope more people eventually read it. Yeah, so definitely look forward to more Dr. Stone discussion later on. But we will have more discussion of recent Jump series, Jump Starts, rather, later on this podcast, talking about Shudon and Cross Account with Maxi Bernard. So look forward to that coming up as well. Needless to say, uh, those were pretty fun. <laughs> uh, one of them was. It, it was other, fun. It was, not it was, so much, but it was fun to discuss them. That's it true. was fun for me to listen to you discuss <laughs> one of them. Uh, we'll we'll wait and uh, let the listeners find out which one that was. But uh, anyway, yeah. we, should, we should move on to the next bit of news. That's true. We're talking about series that are recent and have just started up, but now it's time to talk about a series that is been around for a while and is finally ending. And that series is, of course, Fairy Tale. And we've known for a while that Fairy Tale is approaching its conclusion very eminently, but now we know for sure that this is it. This is final, because recently on Twitter, we saw Mashima post a draft showing that he was working on the final chapter of the series, chapter 545. He he showed us a page of it. There's nothing on the page, but it's like just Fairytale 545 written at the top. And it's like, yep, there's no denying the series is almost over. Because Mashima has already started work on the final chapter. For all we know, he's already finished it. And it's just waiting to be published later this month. So yeah, Fairytale is ending in just a couple weeks now. Okay. I was I was just about to ask like what chapter are we at in Fairy Tale currently cuz I was kind of interested in that myself. I believe the latest chapter was 542, so there's like 3 weeks left. Actually, probably 2 by the time you're listening to this cuz 543 will probably already be out. Okay, so definitely in less than a month. So, yeah, end of this month is when the final chapter will be published. Well, there you go. But speaking of next month, this year's uh, August issue of Futabasha's monthly action magazine uh, has announced that a new Shonen Ashibe manga series will be launching in the next issue on July 25th. Uh, original creator Hiromi Morishita is basically going to be writing the story, while Shohei, who apparently is known for his uh, BL manga, will be uh, providing the art. And uh, Morishita even provided a, uh, a preview image on Twitter, which I think looks kind of cute. Like, it, it looks like essentially... What this new series is going to be is it's basically going to be what looks like, just judging from the preview image, about Ashibe and Sugao and 
basically just them going through their first year of high school. It's so good that they're going to be reunited together in high school. Because in the show, they're, like, separated. Like, Sagao moved away. And it's always fun. Sagao episodes are always funny. Because, like, he always gets, like, into some sort of bizarre trouble. Like, with the abominable snowman and yeti creature or whatever it was. It's almost like Sugao and Ashibe kind of have their own separate shows going on, and they just yeah. happen to be, like, part of the same show. Like, I've actually been catching up on Shonen Ashibe, the uh, current anime on Crunchyroll. That show is so fun to watch. Like, it really does get better when, like, all of the cast has been introduced, so that way you, like, you have you have more characters to have to work off with, with each other and whatnot. So, it's a pretty good kids' anime, all things considered. It's actually pretty funny, and it's really fun to watch, so I definitely recommend that to anyone who's looking for just a, a fun, like, short 11-minute episode anime to watch, if you like shorter stuff, which... I, I know we probably talked about it on the show, like, a little while ago, but I think it's safe to say we both recommend the anime for that one. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy watching it. I'm quite behind myself, because I think I only got halfway into the first season, so I'll probably uh, finish that at some point. But, yeah, uh, this seems like a cool new manga, and, like, the Shonen Ashibe manga is on... Crunchyroll, like the uh, tie-in to the anime series is on Crunchyroll. So maybe yeah. they can pick this up, too. Because that'd be nice. I'm interested in I it. would like that, because I'd be interested in reading this. And uh, I want to know why Ashibe apparently dyed his hair blonde in high school. I, that kind of threw me off, too. I'm like, is that really Ashibe? And then I'm like, oh, well, he probably just dyed his hair. That's That's kind of interesting. And where is Goma? Is he in the bag? <laughs> Maybe. That sounds like the smart thing to do. Well, hopefully he's still around. Goma's cute. Hopefully, if he's in that bag, he can breathe, because that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's kind of important. <laughs> or maybe this will be the like like the darkest timeline of Shonen Ashibe, where Goma's dead! Oh, that'd be too sad. Uh, yeah, that'd be too dark for us. I'm assuming this will still be aimed at kids, somewhat. Or who knows, maybe it's gonna be aimed at the BL crowd, and <laughs> be about Ashibe and Sagao's budding romantic relationship in high school. And then Goma just constantly, like... Just like inter interrupts them, like, "Hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm a seal. I'm cute. Like, pay attention <laughs> the to me." Third wheel on their date. <laughs> Goma's the third <laughs> wheel, and uh, like his and Ash Ashibe's relationship is on the rocks because they just can't get away from each other. <laughs> I need my space too, you little shit. <laughs> I don't know. I'd feel pretty bad for Goma. Like, I, I would too. He got yelled at. Hopefully, it's a little more lighthearted than that. It probably is. It, it most it, certainly it, it, is. Yeah, it probably will. Yeah. And also, what might be kind of lighthearted is the new series that Akira Himekawa, the duo behind the Legend of Zelda manga, is going to be making. Kamdo, which is a new fantasy series that is heavily influenced by Asian history and mythology, as opposed to Zelda's more European uh fantasy setting. And the story is going to be set between Japan's Jomon period, which started 15,000 years ago, when Mount Fuji was still an active volcano, and during the Yayoi period, which saw the introduction of rice for cultivation. And in the manga, the transition of these eras led to the rise of humans over the other species and half-breeds. So it's going to be kind of an interesting series about, like, humans fighting, like, half-humanoid, 
kind of dragon-like dinosaur creatures. Oh, that sounds kind of cool. Yeah, in kind of an Eastern fantasy world. So, yeah, that's kind of interesting. I still haven't read the Zelda mangas by Akira Imakawa, but I'm definitely interested in them, and their new work seems pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like I should read those myself at some point, too, even if I'm not too familiar with Zelda and its lore, honestly. But I really do wonder if they're accessible to people who aren't, like, super into Zelda and only have like a like a passing knowledge of it. Well, every Zelda game is designed to be accessible to new people. So I'm sure that the manga adaptations are kind of the same way because okay. like every game is meant to stand alone. So I guess every adaptation of those games should also stand alone. Okay, that's that's an interesting point. But anyway, moving on to our next piece of news. In this year's August issue of Kodansha Shonen Series, that particular magazine announced that it will launch a new spin-off, Akane Shimizu Cells at Work, in the next issue coming this July 26th. I'm pretty sure we talked about another spin-off manga for Cells at Work. I forget exactly what that one was about, but we talked about one of these before, but it looks like this is a new one called Cells That Don't Work. Yeah. And apparently will be about the idle daily lives of, uh, I'm gonna have a fun time trying to pronounce this, Earthroblast? Basically immature red blood cells uh, who just don't want to work. The series will be drawn by Moe Sugimoto, while Shimizu will be the supervisor for this particular work. So this sounds like it could be kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, the character design of one of these Entryoblasts, like he seems like a delinquent type, uh, ne'er-do-well who doesn't care about anything. So <laughs> that could be pretty amusing. I still haven't read Cells at Work Proper. You know, that seems to be a recurring trend in this early part of the show so far. Uh, we really need to get on reading that. But definitely, yeah. it seems like a fun concept. And I would uh, definitely love to see what uh, they do with it. So, interested in reading this as well. Yeah, maybe we could do like a first impressions kind of review of that thing sometime later. I I still... I I bought the first volume of that on sale. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that's that's one of like the many like first volumes that I bought that I still need to try too, so... Same. But this is something that I actually know now, finally, is Shinkai's Your Name is getting a manga spin-off. Well, it's specifically a manga adaptation of a spin-off novel of Your Name. Uh, it's going to be a adaptation of Arata Kano's Your Name, Another Side, Earthbound which will be drawn by Junya Nakamura and launch on Psy Games' Psychomi Manga. And I'm not sure what the spin-off novel focuses on. Oh, it focuses on uh on the characters themselves and like how they all like interact with each other, I guess, cuz the first volume of the novel is about Taki like adjusting to Mitsuha's body. Then the second volume is about Tessie's aspirations and dreams and the third is about yotsuha and how she sees mitsuha as a reflection of her mother which is kind of sweet and sad and then the fourth story is about mitsuha's father how he fell in love with uh, mitsuha's mother and then like how he dealt with his grief after she passed away so you know those third and fourth volumes in particular seem very interesting to me because they are going to delve deeper into aspects of the characters that were like implied in the movie but like not fully explored 
So I'm definitely interested in like reading these novels if they're ever translated, and also the manga adaptation of them uh, should that be translated as well. Now, as somebody who hasn't seen your name yet, like hearing this out of context is so interesting to me because <laughs> I just assumed like, oh, are these like spinoff novels that like happen just like after the end of the movie or something? But it seems like it's a bit more like seems like they cover a bit more ground than that. Yeah, like the first volume seems concurrent with the movie is focuses on a particular section that was kind of just described in montage form and goes more in-depth with it. And then the seconds through four volumes are going more in-depth on supporting characters. Hmm. So, okay. that yeah, that's really interesting to me because I, you know, I really enjoy your name and I definitely would like to learn more about these characters because I do really enjoy those characters too. Yeah, eventually I'm going to get to your name as a part of, because um, I'm covering a bunch of Shinkai stuff on over at the... Uh, and a manga podcast uh, whenever I have time to record that over there with uh, with Jammer and Dominic. So yeah, I'll, I'll I'll get to your name eventually. I just I don't know. I just wasn't as interested enough to see it in theaters. But I get the feeling that like everybody's gonna go on me and be like, "Oh, you missed a theater experience. You should have seen it in theaters." Uh, would you Would you agree, Sid? I saw it in theaters four times. Oh wow, that good, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, I I, I really I, enjoy that movie. Yes. Well, I can't wait to finally see what it's what it's all about when it finally hits home video, which I think that was announced at Anime Expo 2 this year, that it was going to be getting a home release pretty soon. Yeah, before the end of the year. Okay, so that's good. Uh, I, was, I was wondering when that was going to come out. But speaking of Anime Expo, we're, we're getting to there really soon, but before we head over to, uh, to Anime Expo news... Actually, was this Anime Expo news? I'm not sure. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Sid. This was not announced at Anime Expo. Okay, I actually did forget there for a second. Uh, so, Udon Entertainment announced that uh, they will be releasing Daigo the Beast Umihara Fighting Gamers, which is basically a manga. I don't know if I want to say it's an autobiographical work. Um, I guess it kind of is. It's basically a manga about the life of apparently renowned Japanese fighting uh, gamer player Daigo the Beast Umihara. And uh, the first volume of the series is slated for a release uh, for this December. Um, but apparently Udon Entertainment will be offering the first volume during, uh, during, uh, Evo 2017 this year. Actually, I think that might be taking place, uh, now by the time we put this out. So if you happen to be at Evo this year and you've had an interest in reading the series, apparently, uh, Udon's got your back. Udon's got it for you. So there you go. Yeah. A manga about the fighting game community and like professional players is very interesting. Yeah. And, uh, I definitely am interested in reading something like that because esports, like fighting games, that is becoming a big thing uh, year after year. Like they're televising it now, so you know this is like like a legitimate kind of sport kind of thing now, or at least a legitimate like professional game, kind of like chess or whatever. Yeah, I mean, like from what I've heard from other acquaintances of mine, you know, in this kind of community, like takes a lot of like skill and practice and hard work to actually like to really be considered of uh, I guess part of this like really competitive community of uh, fighting games like it, like I know I know people who like really work hard at this kind of stuff and really does take a lot of like hand-eye coordination and that kind of thing like people actually train their hand-eye coordination for this kind of stuff so if it hasn't already then it's probably pretty legitimate yeah i mean it takes skill and a lot of practice and hard work like you do need to really invest a lot of time in it to get really good like a uh, buddy of mine is actually like he's not like one of the top players but like he does actually participate in like fighting game tournaments and he's like pretty decent in the state like he's top 50 but like you know he's told me about like the gap between like good players like him and like the best of the best it's like insane so 
like you gotta really respect the people at the top of this competition game here. So yeah, this is this is honestly the kind of thing I could see making a really great sports manga, honestly. Oh yeah. Or at least a really interesting one. And it's great to see it get represented as like a subject that should be depicted and like kind of have a story centered around and like kind of you know inform people like what this community is like Mm -hmm. but uh i think now we can move on to uh to anime expo news yeah we can and first things we're going to cover is some things crunchyroll has announced that it's going to add to its uh, manga service I mean, first thing that we'll mention is that on Crunchyroll's ebook service, they've announced that they will be adding over 400 manga titles from Seven Seas. So that's a cool thing if you buy your manga off of Crunchyroll. I, I believe I believe that's a service only available through the Android app, though. I mean, it's available on the website and the Android app. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, I'm an iOS user, so I don't have access to that. Unfortunately, well, it is also available on iOS. Is it? Yeah. Uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to look for that later then. That's still a cool mm-hmm. thing, though. Yes, but cooler is that they are finally adding new series to their manga section that they will be publishing simultaneously with Japan. And all of these will have already been added by the time you're listening to this podcast. We've got Hazuki Minaze and Utsuki Kamiya's Final Fantasy Lost Stranger. Which we have definitely talked about on the show before. Mm-hmm. We've also got Hisago Amakaze no and Tag. Kuji Kato's Knights and Magic, as well as Junpei Inuzaka and Takaki Kugatsu's Restaurant to Another World. Both of those have currently running anime this season that you can also watch on Crunchyroll. So that's cool bit of synergy there. You can watch the anime and read the manga on Crunchyrolls if you choose to. That's pretty neat. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm legit glad that uh, Crunchyroll still seems to be at least paying somewhat attention to their manga side of things. Mm-hmm. It was really hard to tell for a while whether they've like kind of just left that alone or if they weren't really like paying attention to that as much. Or yeah, I mean, at least this reads a little life into it, and the fact that you know these are going to be simulpops you know, is another good factor. Because they have lost a lot of Simulpub series recently. I mean, Yamada Kun ended this year, Fairy Tale is ending, and then there's all a bunch of these other series that have ended or just, they're not updating anymore. Like, they're not Simulpubishing Princess Jellyfish for some reason, because they only release it one volume at a time on there. But at least Kodansha, I think, is still, like, Simulpubishing that through Comixology. Yeah, Kodansha is publishing it through Comixology, but it's not being simul-published on Crunchyroll itself, like Hmm. other Kodansha titles, like the stuff that they run in Weekly Shonen Magazine, like Seven Deadly Sins are. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, they really needed some life to be brought back in, and hopefully these new titles will do exactly that. And I have checked out the anime of Restaurant to Another World, and it's pretty interesting. I mean, it's not, like, outstanding so far. I only watched the first episode, but, like, it has a neat premise in, like, this restaurant in the real world that, like, like, people in this fantasy world visit to eat at. So there's some interesting stuff there. As long as Crunchyroll still simul-publishes Ajin, I'm I'm good. Yeah, at least we still have Ajin. <laughs> Which I also was catching up on that, and that's been pretty good lately. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, yes, yeah, so now we're going to get into our actual Anime Expo licensing news. Oh boy, I'm... I'm already tired just looking at oh, how much we have to talk about. Oh, I'm going to cry. Okay, um, so... We're going to start off with uh, Kodansha stuff first, and it looks like uh, Kodansha on uh, July 18th will be uh, releasing three new titles. 
uh, it looks like. The first of which being Kono Dori, Dr. Stork, from uh, Yu Suzunoki, which seems to be basically a, a manga about doctors that work in childbirth in particular. So I, I feel like I've seen that series around. I was I was kind of wondering, if, like, I, I'd seen I'd seen a bit around here and there, and it looked kind of interesting. So I'm glad that's being picked up. It looks like a more uh, dramatic series, so I'd be interested in reading that. Uh, next, we also have uh, Hotaru's Way from uh, Satoru Hiru, Hiura, and is about a 27-year-old office worker named Hotaru, who is generally uninterested in love, but one day suddenly finds herself living with her boss. Wah, wah. So uh, that that sounds like it could be an interesting series, too, maybe. And then uh, last but not least, we have uh, Love's Reach from Rin Mikimoto, which is basically the series in general is about a, a new English teacher taking over for this class's homeroom teacher who is on maternity leave. One of the students basically goes back and forth between fawning over his good looks and really hating his attitude, you know, basically that whole inner struggle, I guess, really distracts her from earning any kind of good grades in English class, and now she has to take extra lessons with them after school, but then, you know, through these extra classes, discovers that this new teacher might not be such a bad guy. Seems like an interesting, uh, probably romantic uh, series, I guess. So do you have any thoughts on any of these before we move on? I admit the only one that's particularly interesting to me is Dr. Stork. I agree, yeah. Because of its premise, and because the other two sound like something I have read before or have, like, seen before. Like, they, they might be, like, a slight twist in, like, the fact that in Tara's way she's living with her boss, but that's, like, still... Take that aspect out of it, and still, like, there's plenty of other manga about oh, uh, this heroine isn't interested in love, but she suddenly finds herself living with a guy that she can't stand. It's like, okay. I mean, I haven't actually read any of these, so I don't know if they're, like, bad or, like, even mediocre or anything. It's just that, based on these premises alone, I find myself more interested in Dr. Sort because it's a premise I really haven't seen before. On a subject that, you know, doesn't get discussed a whole lot. No, I, I agree. Dr. Stork definitely sounds like the most interesting out of the three. Uh, the other two just being something, again, based on the premise alone, just doesn't really sound like something I would find interesting. I don't know, maybe um, Hotaru's Way sounds like it could, like, the, the premise alone for that series doesn't sound super interesting, but I feel like it could, it could be done well, maybe. Maybe, I don't know. I'm more interested in the sequel, which is apparently about after she gets married and, like, has to deal with, like, the challenges of married life. And then another sequel that is apparently coming out this October, which, based on the title, has to deal with her taking care of her kid, her newborn baby, because the title of the next sequel is called Hotaro's Way Baby. So those sequel manga sound more interesting than the, uh, main manga to me. That's interesting. I had no idea that this manga already had sequels. Yeah, I mean, it ran from 2004 to 2009. So oh, okay. This is actually quite a older title. You know, in that respect, it's great that Kodansha has picked it up and, you know, is giving it a legal release over here. Especially since, you know, it's another thing from Kiss Magazine as well. So this is, you know, it's cool to get more Jose stuff. Mm, that's good. More more Jose manga is always something to look forward to. But now we're going to move on to uh, some actual uh, uh, some actual licenses from Kodansha Comics. The first of which is actually a Battle Angel Alita prequel manga. Ma- mongol? Whoops. A uh, prequel manga. 
<laughs> uh, uh, known as Battle Angel Alita Mars Chronicle, which uh, looks like will be re- be released in English uh, this February 2018. I'm not too super familiar with Battle Angel Alita, so I'm not exactly sure what this prequel manga really entails. But it's it's good to see more Battle Angel Alita properties being picked up because it because as as far as I'm aware, Battle Angel Alita is considered quite a classic, and I know a lot of mm-hmm. people really like it. So and that James Cameron movie is getting made and is going to come out in like a year or two or something, and hopefully will be good. Maybe hopefully I hope so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's see. It also looks like Comixology and Amazon Kindle's platform have both released the first volume of Clamp's Card Capture Sakura Clear Card Manga. It looks like that's available digitally already, uh, but the first volume will actually come out in print on November 14th. Unfortunately, Card Capture Sakura isn't really something I'm too familiar with either, but it looks like, as far as I could tell, this is a new currently running arc in the Card Capture Sakura franchise, Sid? Are, are you familiar yes. with this at all? Okay. I mean, I have also very little experience with Card Capture Sakura, but I do know that, yeah, this is like a new arc in the series, and it's been very well received by fans. Okay. So, you know, that's really cool to see, and it also makes me want to, like, get caught up on my Card Capture Sakura so I can also follow this. Yeah, that's something I feel like I should give a try at some point. I feel like I need to give some Clamp stuff a try in general. I haven't really spent too much time with Clamp in general, but next up, uh, the first two volumes of Fairy Tale S are going to be coming out this October, which seems to be just another uh, fairy tale spinoff coming out. Because we always need more of those. We we don't have enough of them. I was going to say, like, there are a lot of them now, aren't there? Uh, there's like a dozen of them. <laughs> I'm sure. Like, oh, there's so many. Like, there's Zero, there's Rhodonite, Blue Mistral, Fairy Girls, Ice Trail, probably even more. I'm just not remembering off the top of my head. But, but there's pro- there's probably more that haven't been licensed, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. So, maybe. <laughs> there's uh. a lot of fairy tale out there. Uh, so this, But this is good for fans, you know? That's uh, good. This seems like to be kind of a gag. Like a little, like, a chibi little thing, something like that. Like a chibi Sasuke Shargon legend and uh, <laughs> Rock Lee and his ninja pals and, and, and along those lines, it seems. You mean the actual good Naruto manga? <laughs> Ooh, I'm I don't sure, know. I wouldn't I'm, say I'm, that at all. I'm, that, that's, that, that's what I saw a lot of people say about that Rock Lee spinoff manga. Uh, back in the day, everybody was joking, like, oh, this is actually the best Naruto manga. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it gave Rock Lee something to do at a time when the series didn't do anything with him. Same goes for Ten-Ten. Ten-Ten actually does stuff in that manga. You know, she's an actual character. So at least, it was good for that, at least, but you know, its style of humor was not necessarily up my alley, I guess. I found it very like childish and sophomoric and not like in a in an inventive, clever way like Doctor Soft or something. So yeah, that's fair. It's probably okay, and I, I'm sure it did have a lot of good humor for it that was very appreciable for fans. But uh, let's see. Last thing coming out from uh, Kodansha will be the first volume of the Sailor Moon Eternal Edition, which is uh, slated for a release during January 2018, and uh, yeah, it looks like uh, each volume of this particular edition will be around uh, 350 pages. 
and uh, it looks like there isn't a lot of other information on this particular release. But I, I'm going to assume this is kind of a Kanzeban like styled sort of release where it's like you know more more material in one volume, probably gonna include like some color pages or whatnot, or at least pages that were like originally in color that they had like grayscale for the normal volume releases, something like that. I assume so. Maybe it'll even be hardcover, but I mean, like, if it was, I'm sure they probably would have mentioned that, but, I mean, you never know. Yeah, I guess I assume so. I already own all of Sailor Moon, so I don't know if I double dip on this, like, the quality or, like, the bonus content included was, like, really enticing. Yeah, like, there doesn't really seem like there's a lot of, like, additional information on this edition of Sailor Moon, Mm -hmm. so, like, I don't know, other than, like, the amount of material it has each volume, I don't know, like, what else it'll actually include, unfortunately. Yeah, but for people who haven't, like, picked up Sailor Moon yet, this seems like a pretty good way to collect it, because you're basically gonna get, like, a great chunk of the series for what I assume will be, like, $20 or something. So that'll, that'll be pretty good. But, yeah, now to get drowned in a tidal wave of new Seven Seas licenses. Uh, there you as, go, uh, Seven Seas, you did it periodically. again. <laughs> yep, good for you, Seven Seas. You keep, you keep surprising us with how frequently you can license a, so many things. You keep trying to drown us in manga, Seven Seas. Stop it. Actually, don't stop it. It's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, they've already drowned us, and now they're just, like, filling the bowl to the top so we can't swim out, no matter how how tr- much we try to climb towards the light. It's just always going to be out of our reach. Se- Seven Seas basically, like, every once in a while will kidnap us and then, like, dunk our heads in, like, a big pool of water and won't let us out. That's basically what I feel. <laughs> That's I feel like, like no, that that's, might be that's that's kind of mean mean and bullying. Like at Seven Seas is not being mean to us by like giving us like so much great new manga to read. No, like, that's this that's is a, a joy. That, that's that's the line I have to tote because it's like I joke, but this is actually a good problem to have. It's good to have too much content. Yeah, I mean, I guess we should just go over everything that Seven Seas has like recently announced here because there is. A... I'm sorry, Seven Seas. Forgive us. <laughs> forgive me. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about here. Yes, there uh, is. First stuff, we've got Nameless Asterism by Kina Kobayashi. Seven Seas will release it in January 2018. It's about a girl who falls in love with her schoolmate on the first day of high school, resolves to keep her crush a secret, but then discovers that the girl she's crushing on has her own secret. This was launched in Square Enix's Gangan Online web magazine in June 2015, and it ended just this March, and uh, the fifth and final volume was published in April. So yeah, that's coming out next January. Also, coming out next year in March 2018 will be Soul Liquid Chambers, a gothic cyberpunk action manga set in the 23rd century, where monsters have turned the world into an amusement park of corpses, and one girl is trying to survive in this heck of a crazy place. But a personality completely unfit for it. And the cover for this looks pretty insane with like this girl with like crazy metallic limbs and a gas mask wearing only a bikini on. One of her arms is like cut off and the other, her other arm's fucking a chainsaw. And she's like <laughs> stepping on like zombie head that's been decapitated with like her iron stilettos is like yeah, this is some pretty insane kind of stuff. Yeah. This is like um, the, uh, 
Yeah, yeah this is this cool. is also from the person, same person behind stuff like Dance and the Vampire Bun, in case yeah. um, anybody was wondering. Yeah, and so yeah, that's that's coming out next March, and um, I'm I'm really looking forward to that based on the cover. It seems cool. And coming out next May, May 2018, will be Getter Robo Devolution, continuing Seven Seas' trend of licensing spin-offs related to classic manga titles. This series by Shimizu and Shimoguchi launched in Akita Shoden's Batsatsu Shonen magazine in December 2015. And yeah, it's based on Gonagai's classic Get a Robo series. And uh, yeah, looking forward to that as well. Uh, coming out in January 2018 will be Made in Abyss by Akito Tsukushi. And this series is about an enormous pit and cave system called the Abyss, which is like the only unexplored place in the world, and strange and wonderful creatures reside in it. And it's full of a lot of precious relics that humans aren't able to make. And so the mysteries of this place fascinate humans, and so they explore it. And these pe- explorers are known as cave raiders. And the story is about a little orphan girl who lives on the edge of the abyss in a town. And her dream is to become a cave raider like her mother and explore the cave. And so one day, she goes into the cave and discovers a robot resembling a human boy. This has an anime adaptation that is currently airing right now that has been quite well received. So it's cool to see the manga will be coming out here very soon. And speaking of a series that was very well received... We have a spin-off of Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid called Kana's Daily Diary, also coming out in January 2018, which, as the title suggests, is a spin-off of Dragon Maid that follows the life of Kana and just her casual daily life going to school. I, I can't imagine that this isn't going to sell. Oh, of course it is, because Dragon Maid is extremely popular. This series is being drawn by Mitsuru Kimura and... It's coming out in January 2018. And then we've got the manga of New Game, which will be coming out in March 2018. This is another series that has an anime season that's currently airing right now and was originally adapted into anime last year. So, yeah, this is about, you know, a bunch of uh, cute girls working at a video game company. So it's kind of like Shirobako, but like with video game characters. I mean, video game, like, developers. So That's kind of interesting. I've been meaning to check out the show because the, there's a new season airing. And then we've that's just about does it for some manga. Aside from the fact that Seven Seas has announced that it will publish Orange Future, which is basically their, how they're going to rename the sixth volume of the Orange manga. Hmm. And, yeah, that's going to come out in February 2018. And the, this volume compiles the uh, adaptation of the Orange Mirai, Orange Future anime film. And then it also contains a two-part spinoff about Sua. Yeah, we definitely talked about this on the show previously, I think. Yes, but a big deal is that Seven Seas has licensed the light novel of Toradora, when they will start releasing that in 2018, and this series, of course, being uh, previously adapted into a very popular rom-com anime back in, like, the early 2010s. And so, yeah, that's probably, like, a really big deal for people. I still haven't seen Toradora, but... Yeah, I mean, that's, like, one of the better, like, modern rom-com series. I've seen, I want to say I've seen about half of it before I just 
never got back to it. I should probably restart it at some point. I wasn't, like, head over heels for it, but, like, you know, I enjoyed it enough, enough to where I'd like to finish it at some point. So, and I know a lot of, a lot of other people really like the anime, so I can't imagine people won't be excited for this coming up pretty soon uh, next year. Yeah. So that's a pretty big get, and I'm interested in how that does. And then finally, the round offers some other light novel licenses, which are going to be print releases of stuff that J Novel Club has already been offering digitally. The first of these being Clockwork Planet, which will uh, first come out in February of next year. And this is by the same author of No Game, No Life, uh, Yu Kamiya. And yeah, so this, and so that also had an anime adaptation that happened uh, earlier this year, which was not as well received as No Game No Life, but still interested in checking that out at some point. And then finally, they will be uh, releasing Ari Futa from Commonplace to World's Strongest starting next March 2018, which is written by Ryo Shirakome. And is about a 16-year-old guy called Hajime, who's a bataku. He pulls a bunch of all-nighters, and eventually, life is turned suddenly upside down, and he's summoned to a fantasy world, and they're treated like heroes and tasked with saving the human race from extinction. But it becomes a nightmare, and his only, like, skill is being able to transmute things, and so he's ridiculed and bullied by his classmates for being weak. This is kind of another, like, isekai fantasy world kind of story. Uh, it reminds me, the premise, a lot of Rising of a Shield Hero, which is also kind of about, like, this guy who gets summoned to a fantasy world to be a hero, but, like, he gets a really bad power, and everyone, like, bullies and mocks him and stuff, so... Wow. It sounds really similar to that. I like that series, but I don't know about this one, because it doesn't seem like... I know, it's hard to judge just based on description, but that'll be coming out next March, for anyone interested. And also, just to round things off, is that Simsies has announced plans to re-release the Boogie Pop novels digitally with new copy editing, and also give a digital release to Boogie Pop Doesn't Laugh. So that's great for fans of the Boogie Pop series who would like to get into those. I know those are pretty well received as well, so that's yeah. that's good on them. Yeah, that was a lot of stuff, and uh, once again, good for you, Seven Seas, for that tidal wave of greatness. Whew. Let's recover from that tidal wave that we almost drowned in. This is like a small wave. You can still like ride on it pretty happily, but it's the smaller but it's good. It's like waist-level water. It's not bad. Yeah. So I'm actually kind of confused about this. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sid. So, so is Vertical, like, owned by Kodansha Comics? Because apparently Kodansha announced during its panel a bunch of Vertical licenses, and I I'm kind of wondering, like, how they're connected, because I, I didn't know Kodansha did any work with Vertical or vice versa. That's interesting to me. I think this might be either a typo or something. I'm not really sure. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll figure that out off mic. So anyway, uh, Vertical has uh, licensed a few interesting titles, first of which is another series from Keiichi Arawi, who, uh, the author of Nichi Joe. I think we talked about previously at some point on the show about his uh, his new work known as City, which is apparently a slapstick comedy about character Nagamo, who is a penniless college student who wants to who moves to a town filled with really bizarre people, which uh, apparently this has been licensed by Vertical and will be released this March 2018. So, more more work from um, Arawi. That's that's always good. I'm assuming Nichi Joe is hopefully doing well for them if they're considering more stuff from this person. Definitely want to read that at some point. 
Another pretty awesome get, actually, coming up here is a a new series being released this April 2018 called Moteki from Mitsuro Kubo, the co-writer of such a a little, like, underground anime. I don't know if you've heard about it. Uh, Yuri on Ice, definitely not, like, the biggest thing to come out of that season. And no, nobody loves that series at all. So apparently this uh, series in particular centers around an urban legend that even poor, aimless single men in their late 20s have a shot of moteki or a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity at popularity with women. So that sounds like an interesting premise, a bit vague there, but hopefully it'll... Uh, I haven't seen much of Yuri on Ice myself, so I'm not very familiar with Kubo's writing, but I don't know. The premise sounds interesting enough. I think it could check it out at some point. Uh, next up, we have My Boy from Hitomi Takano, uh, which will be released on April 2018. Story follows a 30-year-old female office worker and a 12-year-old boy who meet in a park and strike up a relationship that may be like a parent and child or maybe something else, which I'm not going to lie. The wording of that premise sounds a bit weird, but I'm hoping that this series won't go to any, like, two weird places. I'm hoping they just have a platonic relationship and they maybe just have, like, conversations in the park or whatever. Like, oh, this is, this will be cute and funny and hopefully not weird at all. Based on the cover, I'm not expecting it to be cute and funny. I'm expecting, like, a psychologically focused series. But okay. yeah, I don't want to, it would be great if it didn't lead into, like, uh... But I was gonna say, like, am, am I the only one that feels like it's kind of hard not to expect that when the premise is written so vaguely like that. Is it wrong for me to expect that? I mean, when you contrasted, like, with the cover of these very sour, like, gloomy-looking people against this white background, it gives off, like, this air of melancholy and a mystique of, like, mysteriousness. Like, I don't know. I don't read comedy from this image, but... Sure. I mean, like, the description, like, yeah, that could go either way. Let's hope it's just, like, a kind of psychological kind of thing that doesn't go, like, in, like, a particular direction. But uh, it looks like Vertical also licensed another work from Nisi Owen, author of such works as the uh, the Monogatari series and uh, a lot of other works that I just can't remember off the top of my head. A novel of his called Strangulation. And uh, I'm just, just going to read this word for word because this is really hard for me to summarize. Well, first off, this is being released on uh, February 2018. Fresh from an, from unmasking an assassin on a posh island paradise, Ichan is finally an ultra-cool college student, jaded, sarcastic, and not exactly consumed by academic ambition. Now more interested in angst and anami than in catching killers, Ichan figures that danger is a thing of the past. Wrong. Uh, there's a homicidal maniac on loose in Kyoto, a perp with the soul of an artist whose talent is apparent in the inspired way he festoons his crime scenes and with body parts. So this will be, it sounds like a pretty interesting title from the premise alone. Uh, what do you think, Sid? I don't know. I I guess it could be interesting, like it seems like a mystery kind of series. Like the protagonist doesn't necessarily seem like that likable based on his personality, but who Probably knows? Not. I mean, I have to actually, like, read it, but I'm interested in Nishioi Sin's stuff, even though my only main exposure to his work is really Strumadakabox. I've seen I've seen a little bit of, like, Bakemonogatari, at least, and the Monogatari series just... I think it's safe to assume it's not really for everybody. 
I mean, I, I tried it. I, I watched all of Bakemonogatari, and I just, I don't know. I thought it was all right, but it wasn't something I was willing to really actively pursue. I know a lot of people really like Nisi Owing's work, so it's it's good that we're getting more of his stuff for um, for his fans. But but I guess we should move on to uh, Yen Press, Sid. I'm sure there are a few titles in there that you really want to talk about amongst others. Oh, yeah. Let's start off with the big one, the one that I am most excited about, and that's Silver Spoon by Hiromu Arukawa. That's right. Finally... Silver Spoon has been licensed by somebody. Hiromu Arakawa's great slice of life comedy manga about farming. And yeah, that's, it's great. I love this manga and I'm so happy that it's finally going to be legally available. I'm surprised that Wiz never decided to pick it up before, but now at least Yen Press is doing us a favor here. And, you know, this also opens the possibility for more Shonen Sunday titles to be licensed by people other than Viz. And that's a good thing, too, because that increases the chances of maybe getting Sobute Must Die and other great Sunday titles in the future. Yeah, I was just thinking that, too. Like, yeah, hopefully this opens up the door for more Shonen Sunday stuff. Uh, definitely for Bomber's sake. Um <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Um, I'd really like to see some more of that stuff licensed just because it's kind of hard to read Sunday stuff because not a lot of that's available. Yeah, it's unfortunate. But that's like the big thing that Yen Press announced at Anime Expo. And they announced a lot of stuff. They announced 20 plus titles. So I'm going to be here for a while. But the next big thing that they licensed was a manga adaptation of Kimono Friends drawn by Farai. And yeah, that's basically as the title describes, a manga about Kimono friends, because that's big. Also big is it's wrong to try and pick up girls in a dungeon, who which a new spin-off manga of that, Days of Goddess, which is a you know, four coma manga drawn by Masaya Takemura, that's also gonna be coming out. Then they've also got Tales of Wedding Rings. They're gonna be putting that out in print. And that series is available on Crunchyroll if you want to go and check that out already. Huh, that, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever seen it on there. I must have missed it. That's good, at least. They've got Oh My Sweet Alien, a one-volume series by Koji Miyata. And they got Mermaid Boys by Yomi Sirachi, who did the Steingates manga. And yeah, for those of you looking for some monster boys that you found in South Jurassic Girls, that might be a good get. There you go. They've got Zozozo Zombie Kun by Yasunari Nagatoshi, which looks to be like a cute comedy about this chibi zombie guy. Aw, it, it, it's cute because he's a chibi zombie. Yes. And then they've got The Demon Who Became My Sister by Pochi Ida. I guess the title says everything about that. Uh, <laughs> when you see Sister in the title, there's really only one thing to expect. Uh, yep. But you got Hatsuharu by Shizuki Fujisawa. Uh, don't really know much about this one. But I do know about Bakano. The manga adaptation by Shinta Fujimoto that Yen Press is already simul-publishing digitally on their site. That is going to be released in print soon. Have we talked about that on the show at all? Because I, I feel yeah, like... Yeah, I believe we have. Okay. Because, like, I was really having trouble remembering whether, like, we talked about it or not. Because, like, for some reason, I feel like I'm this is my first time learning that... N- not that there's a Bakano manga, but, like, that's being simul-published. I didn't know that. Or at least I don't remember talking about it. That's so weird. Um, I need to check that out because I do, I do like me some Bakano. They've also licensed Stupid Love Comedy by Shun, Shu, 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 Sakurai. Uh, well, speaking of titles that say everything about a series. Yeah, that's an accurate descriptor if I've ever heard one. And then finally, 
for like uh, new manga licenses for print. They've got Sacrificial Princess and the King of Beasts by Yu Tomofuji. Okay, well, that one doesn't look terrible. Looks like it could be interesting. And they've also announced that they will release a couple titles digitally, and uh, the print releases for these have been unconfirmed for now. First of these being Tokyo Ravens by Atsushi Suzumi, which is based on the light novels of the same name. They've also got uh, Maoyu. Don't know who that's by, but they've got the manga adaptation of Bakken Test by Mosuke Madaku and Yumita, based on Kenji Inoue and Yui Haga's light novel series. They've got Now Playing by Hifumi, Thou Shalt Not Die by Taro Yoko and Daisuke Moriyama, Toilet Bound Hanako-san by Iro Aida. Okay. The, I guess that's the play on, like, the... I believe she's the ghost girl, so I guess this is about, like, this kind of archetype of the ghost girl, like, being bound to the toilet. Huh. Which could be fun. And then, uh, Kuzumi-kun Can't You Read the Room by Mosuko, which is probably about a guy who is very socially inept. That just sounds like it'll be probably painfully awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in addition to all these manga, Yen Pretz has licensed quite a few light novels. First of these being Reborn as a Wedding Machine, Now I Wander the Dungeon by Hirokuma and illustrator Itsua Kato, which is so ridiculous. Like, this guy gets reborn as a anthropomorphic wedding machine. Like, he has some eyes on this wedding machine body. Oh, I didn't even see that. And apparently, like, some girl is just going to be dragging him around as it goes through a dungeon. It's like, that's ridiculous. That's that's amazing. Wow, if I've ever if I've ever seen something that needed an anime this second, uh, it would be this. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Continuing the fantasy trend, we've got the hero and his help ride open a pizza parlor by Kaya Kisaki and illustrator Shizo, and that's actually slated for spring 2018, so we got a confirmed date on that. And that sounds like it to be fun. Well, as, as somebody who works in a pizza place, I, I feel like I'm obligated to read this. Yeah. <laughs> we've also got I've Been Killing Slimes for 300 Years by author Hisetsu Morita and illustrator Don Stugel, and which seems like it's kind of like a cynical kind of series about this witch girl who's just been, like, Killing the same monster for years after years. It might be oh, like wow. the one punch man of this, of this isekai genre or fantasy genre. That actually sounds like that could be funny. Yeah. And then, uh, they got a sister's hole you need by no! author Yomi Hirosaka. It was very kind of dope. And, uh, the cover of the first volume shows this girl trying to pull down this guy's pants with a no! perverted look. No! Um, I know the premise for this one is that it's actually about the little sister of this guy, you know, who pretends to be a boy or whatever. And it's like, okay. <sighs> I, you know, I, again, when you have sister in the title of a, uh, Anime, light novel, whatever. You know it's, uh... It's, it doesn't you know lead to good things. You know, you know this genre. You know what an emoto genre, what it's trying to do. Oh, God, no, oh, why? And finally, for the light novels, they've got Goblin Slayer, Year One, a spin-off novel that's coming out next year as well. And uh, I'm not familiar with Goblin Slayer, but they're also going to be, uh... Simul publishing the manga adaptation of Goblin Slayer Year One starting in September. In addition to, you know, as we previously announced, Lost Stranger, which will already be available on uh, Crunchyroll by the time you're listening to this. They will also release uh, Pandora Hearts in a repackaged deluxe box called the Pandora Box, 
this November for about $230. And this release will have a box with metal handles, larger pages, and reproduced color pages. So for if you're a fan of that series, that looks to be like a pretty premium collection of it, which is... Cool. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, you said that uh, Seven Seas drowned us, but like, Yen Press, they blew us straight down into the earth. They crushed us with a sheer weight of all their books, and we just got crushed by the by the weight of it all. Like, pounded into pavement, flat and straight. I'm sure in another month, Seven Seas is going to be like, yeah, well, we're releasing 30 new licenses, and it's just going to keep going. Oh, no, there. and then Seven Seas and Yen Press will just start trying to one-up each other, and we'll just continue to be crushed by the weight of all these books that we want to desperately read, but we just don't have time to. And as the backlog keeps pushing us, to the ground, and we can't breathe, and then we die. Well, Sid dies. I'm gonna get out from under all these books and talk about the not nearly as plentiful, but also very interesting uh, licenses from Viz Media of uh, of all companies. Uh, so, first license I'm really interested in because it is another title from the Shonen Jump Plus app. Again, being basically Shonen Jump with extra series that are, like, digitally exclusive to the app, I mean, called Fire Punch from Tatsuki Fujimoto, which, that's the most awesome name for a manga I've ever heard, which will be released on January 2018 and looks like is basically about, actually here, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to read this word for because this actually sounds really interesting. So, in the not-too-distant past, the ice, the ice witch blanketed the world in snow, starvation and madness, leading to the inhabitants to seek their salvation in fire. With that, an unusual destiny unfolds for two young orphans, Agni and Luna, blessed with the ability to regenerate, but will this ability prove to be more of a curse or a blessing? So, that sounds like it could be really interesting. I mean, like, I'm already... You already got me with, like, the title and the cover alone, so this is already going to be, like, probably a day one purchase for me. The title and the cover for the first volume are so striking. I don't know, so does this sound interesting to you? Yeah, it sounds cool, but I think I need to actually read it to, like, really be excited for it. Yeah, that's, that's a cool premise. I mean, the next one I'm actually am quite interested in because I recently watched the anime for it and quite enjoyed it. And that's uh, Kinka Bancha Otome, Girl Beats Boys, the manga adaptation by, uh, who is it by? Uh, Chie Shimada. Yes, and that's about a girl who, you know, grew up in an orphanage, not thinking she had any relatives. But one day she comes across a boy who claims to be her brother and she switches place at him to attend this private old boys academy for delinquents. And uh, she has to fight her way to the top of the school. It's uh, pretty fun. I enjoyed it, the anime. So, yeah, looking forward to the manga adaptation of this. Yeah, I was I was actually wondering about checking that out. I wasn't sure if it would really be my thing or not, but um, it looks cute enough. So, this next license is actually a novel from uh, Dempao Torishina, an author whose works I've never really heard of. I actually had a hard time trying to uh, look this person up online. Apparently, Viz will be releasing a novel of theirs called Sisphian. Uh, at least that's how, I'm, that's how I think it's pronounced. Kind of hard to tell. The novel will be released this January 2018, and it's this one's kind of hard to summarize, too, because from what I'm gathering, it looks like it takes place in a world where it's inhabited by these really, like, weird creatures that look like to be, like, the product of, like, some genetic engineering. It's so weird. It looks like, I don't know, from the summary... At least from what I'm guessing, it's it's about a basically like the one human in the world of this like 
of all these like weird creatures that works at this company or something. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really know. It was kind of hard for me to make heads or tails of it. I just thought it was kind of weird. It's pretty out there, <laughs> but I think that's about it for like new licenses. I think like the other really like noteworthy thing that uh, looks like Viz is putting out is a hardcover edition of Full Metal Alchemist known as the Full Metal Edition, which looks like to be a, um, again, another like Kanzenban style release, except this time we actually, we actually have some details on this release. This edition of the manga will be coming out on May 2018, and uh, apparently we'll have an updated translation and new lettering. This version will also include all of its original color pages and will feature large trim archival quality paper with character sketches and new color art from Arakawa herself, and uh, they'll also be hardcover. I'm really conflicted, because, um, just to pull the curtain back a little bit, we're wanting to talk about Full Metal Alchemist hopefully sometime near the end of the year. I've actually been trying to buy some Full Metal Alchemist so I can get ready for that ahead of time, but, like, I almost wish we could talk about this next year, because I, I would hate to buy Full Metal Alchemist and then, like, double dip on it, because it seems like this, this edition is clearly going to be the superior version compared to its original Tonkoban editions, and then, like, you know, the three-in-ones that this has been putting out for the series as well, with the less-than-ideal-quality paper, but it works. That kind of sucks that, I don't know, I wish we could kind of push it back, but I mean, like, you know. If we waited for all the full middle edition to be put out, we'd have to wait two years based on whatever the release schedule for it would be, because, like, it would take... Like, at least a little while for all of this re-release to get, you know, fully released. I know, which is why I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant saying, yeah, let's just wait until this is all out. But worst case scenario, I was thinking about buying the three-in-ones anyway at some point so I can save a little money. Because if I, I did the math earlier in the week, it like basically comparing how much money I would spend on it digitally rather than physically through the three-in-ones. And Needless to say, I would definitely be saving a lot of money actually buying the three-in-ones, so I'm probably going to do that, and then I'll probably, like, sell them secondhand or something to make that money back, only to buy it again, because, like, I really want to buy these, um these new Full Metal editions, because they really do sound awesome, honestly. Mm -hmm. I already own all the Full Metal Alchemists, because I bought the box sets, so I'm not probably not going to be getting this, but yeah, it sounds really cool. And I kind of wish I didn't buy the box set, so I would have a reason to get this. Honestly, if this edition wasn't touting an updated translation and new lettering, I probably wouldn't even consider it, honestly. But that one little tip, it kind of, like, basically influences my decision alone, because um, I wonder, like, I say that's interesting. I, I wonder how that's going to compare to the translation we have already, then. Yeah, it'll be interesting to compare. But no, yeah, this is awesome, and I'm definitely going to buy at least a volume of this, because I, I do want to own some of this, because it, it really does look like they're really going all out for this release. And then speaking of Wiz Media News, they've also announced that they have named Chris... Christopher Butcher as their new consulting editor at large. He was formerly the manager of the Toronto comics book store The Beguiling and has been working in the comics retail industry since 1997, working in editorial and production for companies such as Image and Oni Press, and serving as a marketing director for Unon Entertainment from 2013 through 2015. In his new role as the editor-at-large at Wiz Media, Butcher will be spending time in North America and Japan, scouting acquisitions, new talent, and new publishing projects, and he'll be looking for original comics projects from outside of Japan in addition to manga. So, congratulations on the position, and I'm interested in seeing what uh, he'll bring to the table at Wiz Media. 
Yeah, let's hope, let's hope for some good things. But yeah, as yeah. as as you can see, we're finally done with Anime Expo licensing news. Thank God. Thank God. But man, Anime Expo sounded like so much fun this year. I kept seeing so many tweets about it on Twitter and about how many exciting things happened. And man, I wish I could have been at these panels for all these companies where they announced these exciting new licenses news and being able to report on them live. And it's like, oh man, the experience of Anime Expo, like I can't believe I missed out on it this year because it sounded like a heck of a good time, which is why I am going to make sure that I do not mix next year's Anime Expo in 2018, which will be running from July 5th through July 8th, and it because of record attendance this year, I mean, I guess they're going to increase accommodations or, like, the amount of activities that they're going to do, but, like, yeah, like, this year, attendance broke records at Anime Expo. There was a 7% increase over last year's numbers. And, like, the number of unique attendees overall was a 15% increase. So, wow. yeah, that's pretty insane. So, I mean, Anime Expo is growing. And, like, who knows if they can uh, ha- control and, like, contain everyone in the Los Angeles Convention Center. They might have to move to D.C. like the rumor mill has been discussing at some point. I will make this pledge and I will go to Anime Expo next year. And I will not miss out on this experience Again. Well, Sid, I trust you to go to May Expo probably before I will, because I'm always broke, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've gotten more used to traveling on my own, so. You know, that was one of the concerns I had, is that I wasn't, like, confident about, you know, traveling just on my own and, like, staying in a hotel or whatever. But, you know, I I think I can make it work now after some recent experiences. I still haven't traveled enough alone by myself yet. I If I have the opportunity to do so, I probably should work on that more. But most likely, I'll probably be living vicariously through you again. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of conventions, we're going to talk about some great guests that are going to be coming to New York Comic Con this year. First of these being Hiro Mashima of Fairy Tale fame. That's right, the mangaka Fairy Tale himself is coming to New York Comic Con in a panel hosted by Kotancha Comics. And yeah, that's this is pretty similar to what Wiz Media has done with Yusei Matsui and Masashi Kishimoto in the past three years. And I'm sure, like, the numbers for this panel will be just as insane. So that's really exciting. Probably more insane. At least more insane than Yusei Matsui, but maybe not as insane as Masashi Kishimoto, because that was a extra level of insane. But also coming to New York Comic Con this year are Akira Himakawa. That's right, the duo behind The Legend of the Zelda manga is coming, and they're going to have their own panel as well, which is also extremely cool. A lot, a lot of awesome guests coming to New York Comic Con, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And for those who are wondering, New York Comic Con will be held this October 5th through the 8th at the Javits Center, in case anybody wants to start planning their trip. Yeah, and unfortunately, I will not be going this year because I missed out on the uh, ticket window for that. So that's unfortunate, but all the more reason to not screw up on going to Anime Expo next year. Oh, but we're finally done with convention news overall. Yes. We still got a lot of news here to cover, though, um, in some Just areas. a few but- loose ends few loose ends, one of them being a very big loose end, but we'll get to that in a bit. But the next thing here we're going to be talking about is uh, apparently, according to the Asahi Shimbun, Junji Ito's Haunted House website, Ito's manga will be getting an anime. Kind of vague there, because uh, it seems that from the uh, from the images on the website, the, they pull a lot of like images from a lot of Ito's different works, such as Tomie and Slug Girl, among others. 
And so it seems like this will possibly be like a kind of animated anthology rather than just focusing on one single work of his, which would be pretty great. I really like the idea of an animated Junji Ito anthology, kind of a weekly anthology. That would be, I would totally watch that. Oh yeah, I'm extremely excited for this. And the idea of it being an anthology just makes it a little more enticing. Now my only concern is I hope that whatever studio they have behind this project uh, hopefully can do justice for his art is all i'm wondering i'm sure they can make it work they can use some interesting stylization or whatever but yeah i mean this is a pretty big deal because the only other property from junji ito that has been adapted to anime before was gyo which i've heard mixed things about as an adaptation i've seen it and uh it wasn't scary like at all like uh-huh. Well, the manga isn't very scary either. Okay, let, let's talk about this real quick. Because, like, yeah, sure, the its concept isn't really, like, that scary. But, like, I felt like, at least when I read the manga of it, I was at least a little, like, I was a little freaked out. Like, I was scared, at least in some parts. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the animated version of Gyo just felt like, uh... It felt like some kind of weird, like Sharknado spinoff or something. Like it did, it did not, it did not feel like threatening or terrifying. It, like there was no suspense. It was just like really campy and stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's two ways you could have gone with that as an adaptation: play up the camp or play up the horror. And uh, they clearly chose what they wanted to focus on. Yeah. So hopefully, this new anthology series will play up to the horror aspect of Junji Jito's works that makes him so interesting and appealing. Yeah, hopefully. But uh, speaking of anime, Sid... Oh yeah, speaking of anime, the Seven Tokage and Scarlet Spring spinoff of Naruto will be adapted into the Boruto anime later this month. So if you've been looking forward to seeing an adaptation of that in anime form, you will not have to wait for too long. And hopefully this will breed some uh, new life into the Boruto anime, which hasn't been bad. But again, as I have previously mentioned before, the early parts of this series really feel like it's just kind of filler. Because again, we've seen the Boruto movie by this point, you kind of know where Boruto's arc is going. So, uh, yeah, this will at least be, like, something that moves the character forward in an interesting direction. So, And I really enjoyed it, so I'm going to look forward to seeing it animated. Well, that's good, at least. But let's move on to a little bit of live-action movie news. As we've talked about on the show before, we talked about how Bleach was getting a live-action movie adaptation, which we now know... Uh, will be released next summer in the year 2018. And I think that's really all about, like, the new updates we have on that. But other than that, like, I think a a teaser trailer came out for it. Sid, did you happen to see it? Yes, I did. I mean, it was a very short teaser, but based on what they showed, like, the stylization seemed really cool. Like, it it seemed like it could be a very cool-looking movie at the very least. Yeah, I was actually kind of excited for it. Like, if I had the opportunity, I would actually probably go see this movie. And I I don't even care for Bleach that much. <laughs> I mean, it actually maybe did look pretty neat. Wiz will license it. That could be cool. I can't imagine they won't at least, like, look into it. Mm-hmm. But let's move on to the next thing, Sid. I'm actually kind of looking forward to this next piece of news. That's right, because Shonen Jump, as you all know, will be celebrating its 50th anniversary next year. And so they're announcing all kinds of cool little tie-ins to this big event. And one of these things being a special reprinting of two of its landmark issues. These 
being a reprint of the magazine's first ever issue from 1968 and the combined 3-4 issue that was released in 1995. The first chosen for obvious reasons and the second because it was Shonen Jump's biggest circulated issue ever with a total of 6.53 million copies, which Oof. is insane. Yeah, that's and wow. yeah, the lineup for both of these issues is pretty great and looks super cool. Of course, with the you know first ever issue, we have a bunch of stuff that I'm sure a lot of the audience will not have heard of, but probably some not cool things in there, including Harenshi Gakuen by Gonagai and Flash Gordon by Dan Barry, because uh, in the original like Runner Shunjud, they even printed some foreign comics. That's oh, pretty cool. That's it. And they even have a Kazuo Umezo uh, work in there, as well as a Fujio Akatsuka title. Huh, see, I didn't know Jump ran any kind of like foreign comics in there. That's really interesting. It is. And then, of course, the 1995 issue is massive. It has, like, 22 different manga, including all the Golden Age big hits like Slam Dunk, Dragon Ball, Roroni, Kenshin, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Hell Teacher Nubei, Captain Tsubasa, Kochikame. You can go on and on. Roku Tanashi Blues is in there. Yeah. Uh, Ninku Second Stage. Even the Dragon Quest manga's in there. Yeah, a lot of really, like, great classic series in here. And these will go on sale in July 15th. Yeah, so, like, I, I want to talk a little bit more about this, because apparently they're also, uh, they're reprinting a couple of, like, really, I guess, pivotal issues of the magazine, because I guess, mm-hmm. uh, those first two issues are going to be coming in a pack, and then basically there'll be two more packs of, uh, yeah. of double issues. The second pack bundling double issues one and two from 1987 and the 25th issue from 1997. The, uh, 1987 issue including the launch chapter of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, the very first chapter of Phantom Blood, and Mm -hmm. uh, the 25th issue from 1997, including the first chapter of One Piece. Yes, and both of those series, of course, having anniversaries this year, JoJo's is 30th and One Piece is 20th, and then there will also be a third pack focusing on pivotal chapters, like the 26th issue from 1986 containing the Fist of the North Star chapter that concludes the fight between Rao and Kenshiro, and the combined 21st-22nd issue from 1991, which contains the Dragon Ball cat chapter where Krillin dies. I'd say those are some pretty big chapters to be re-released. I mean, those are game-changing, iconic moments. Man. I'm surprised they didn't choose uh, the issue where Goku turns Super Saiyan for Dragon Ball, but I'm sure that'll come down the line. As a reprinting thing. Probably. God, I really wish I could own these if they're... Man, like, if I ever see these, I'm buying these. I might think about importing them if I can uh, figure out how. If you figure out how, you better let me know, because I want to <laughs> own these. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, man, I would love to own the first chapters of both JoJo and One Piece. That sounds really awesome. Yeah, but speaking of One Piece and anniversary projects, Shonen Jump is planning some cool things for that as well to celebrate its 20th anniversary this month. Oh, yeah, okay. I guess I get to go over these. Um, So, yeah, so uh, let's see. Issue 32... Yeah, basically the issue that comes out the week that this episode will be released. Yeah, outlines 
10 new projects for One Piece to celebrate its 20th anniversary, uh, which will all be featured in the next issue, issue 33, which, again, at the time of this episode, comes out next week. So just to kind of go over these, uh, apparently the first of which will be a cover illustration recalling the issue that published the first chapter of One Piece on July 22nd, 1997. So I'm guessing that means, like, it's going to be a recreation of basically the first cover, I guess the first cover art for uh, for One Piece on Shonen Jump, which I think will be pretty cool. I'm assuming similar to what Oda did for, um, what was it, the 61st volume of One Piece? But basically, basically the volume that includes, like, the beginning of the time skip where he basically recreated... Uh, the image from the first volume, except with, like, all of the crew. I'm assuming that's probably what it's going to be. And then, uh, second which, the backside of the cover will release, will feature a special illustration message from Oda himself. Let's see, an opening page poster, an appendix featuring the Straw Hat crew versus the strong fighters of the New World with, quote-unquote, an original shogi. I don't exactly have an idea of what that could be, but it does sound pretty cool. Um... Let's see, just to list a couple more off here. Uh, a challenge project where fans search for the Straw Hats, so probably a maybe like a Where's Waldo kind of thing. That sounds kind of interesting. A new reader participation project where the readers get to appear with Luffy. So that sounds pretty cool, too. A collaboration between One Piece and the School of Jump project, which um, I had a bit of trouble trying to research what exactly School of Jump was, so... Again, I don't have a lot of information on what School of Jump is, but just moving on. Apparently, there will be more information on the One Piece 20th anniversary surprise that will happen on July 22nd. The magazine in particular teases the fact that the surprise will happen on July 22nd. Basically, it'll include announcements for event and media developments. So whatever that means, I'm not sure, but I guess we'll have to see in the next week or so. Apparently, Mitsutoshi Shimabukuro, the author of Toriko, will publish a 15-page one-shot manga about his memories with Oda, which I think sounds really touching. That sounds nice. Aww. And then a six-page chapter of Aondo's One Piece Party spinoff manga that I believe runs in Psycho Jump. So, yeah, a lot of really cool uh, stuff coming up for One Piece. I'm really interested in what this uh, surprise project will be on, on the 22nd. I'm sure by the time we record our uh, our One Piece retrospective, which will be coming out in the next couple of weeks here, we'll probably already have an idea. Yeah. But we are finally done with the news. Oh, man, this was one of the longest news sessions we've had to go on in a while. Wow. Yup. And the discussion is going to go on for a lot longer because we have two jump starts and two great manga to talk about with our good friend Maxi Bernard and I'm excited to get to them so let's not waste any time and let's move on to the next thing all right and we're back and uh we finally have uh Maxi Bernard on from Friendship Effort Victory uh how you doing Maxi I'm doing pretty good, Tar. Uh, having a nice, relaxed, sunny day where I thought the best way of spending that would be to go and uh, sit in a hot room talking to Americans. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate the sacrifice, Maxi. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure, as we have discussed at the top of the show, we have Maxi on to uh, to talk about a few things. Um, I think uh, Sid and I wanted to talk to Maxi about the two recent uh, jump starts that have come out in the Viz uh, Weekly Shonen Jump, uh, those being Shudan and Cross Account. 
And I think afterwards, we're just going to jump into our discussion of uh, my lesbian experience with loneliness and my brother's husband. But uh, before we get into those, yeah, let's just let's talk about these jump starts. Yeah, talk about extremes in quality between these two. You have like one <laughs> that's probably one of my favorites in recent memory, and then one that it's easily the worst in recent memory. Well, th- th- that one is easily shoot on, right, Sid? I-, I know how much you no. just do not like that author's work. <laughs> You'll make Jeff cry. I didn't write glowing reviews of Shunan for all comic, no. No, not the at all. The cross account was the one I praised, right? Like, <laughs> I gave cross account, I, I totally didn't give cross account the lowest score I've ever given in a manga review so far. Like, that, I, that totally shows how much I love it. Right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh boy. I guess, do you, do you want to talk about real quick what Shudan actually is? Yeah, Shudan is the new manga by Takuma Yokota, who previously did Straighten Up, which was a dance sport manga that ran uh, in Shonen Jump from 2015 to earlier this year. And it ran for about 10 volumes worth of content, 80-ish chapters, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I guess it didn't, like, totally catch on, but it seems to have developed a cult following because, you know, I see a lot of still praise about it on Twitter, you know, from Yakota's fans. And I also, also topped like that list of manga people want to see animated that we covered on the show a while back. So Spitting Up definitely had a cult following at the very least. And so Shoot On is a soccer manga that focuses on an elementary school club. Well, not a school club, just an, a youth soccer club. And the premise of the series is that this girl joins the soccer club and she uh, motivates and reinvigorates their like passion for playing sp- soccer and desire to actually like try their best and, you know, actually go out and maybe win some games and like make the m- most of their time. Because previously they were just only like casually you know, engaged in the sport. They just did it as a thing to do, whether it was, like, an alternative to, like, taking cram school classes or just something their parents made them do. But, like, what this girl Nanaze does is that because she's so good a player, she makes them want to, you know, try to do better and try harder, particularly the main character, Rokuro. So that's basically the premise of the series. And it's, like... Uh, I love Yakota's art. It's just so adorable, his character designs. And, like, you know, it's kind of appropriate he's drawing elementary school characters because the protagonists of Straighten Up already looked like they were really young. They didn't really look like uh, high schoolers. So, you know, he definitely, like, is really great at drawing children. And all the characters are, like, just really, you know, fun and just enjoyable. Especially... You know, Nanazi, she's, she's, it's really cool, you know, to have like a, you know, mixed gender sports team series, you know, cause it's kind of rare to see those, uh, in Jump and just in manga in general. So I like that aspect about it. And also it's very unique for the series to focus on elementary schoolers since the trend is usually about, you know, high school or clubs these days. And this isn't even based on like school clubs. This is just like a youth soccer club. So it's outside of that system 
and formula in a, in a, in a sense. And there's just also this great thematic through lines through the first few chapters, which is about, you know, Rokuro getting over, you know, the fact that Nanaze is a girl and on his team and stuff and just learning to, you know, kind of be cool with that. And it doesn't have anything to do with like him being sexist. It just has to do with like him being uncomfortable around girls. And it's just really, you know, innocent and adorable. Yeah. It, it's, it's, that, it's that sense of like, you know, when you're, when you're in elementary school, you know, I, I remember when I was in elementary school and I thought, Ew, girls are gross or icky. They're kind of weird. I don't know if I, Ew, I, what, I wonder what, what would happen if they kissed me or something like, you know, like I feel like it's pretty normal. To- <laughs> I don't know why I went there, but, you know, I, I think it's pretty normal for a young boy to have those kind of thoughts about girls. So, yeah, I, I agree with you there. Yeah. So, I think Shudan has, like, some really, you know, great messages about, like, pu- putting your all into something and, like, giving it your all and, like, uh, just, you know, a great teamwork messages and also, like, you know, gir- uh, girls can be as athletic as guys, too. And it doesn't, like, do this in, like, a heavy-handed way, you know. Nanazi isn't, like, super perfect a player. She's just really good. But, and so, you know, and she just tries really hard. So, you know, I it, it's just really well executed. And just the art is really adorable, but it's also really, like, effective at, like, getting you into the sport. And, like, I, I think it really started off super strong in having, like, the entire first chapter just be dedicated to showing a full game, which, come to think about, is just really rare in first chapters of sports series. Like, you think about Robot Laser Beam. You know, they didn't play a game in the first chapter. They just hit some balls on the driving range. You know? It's it's actually pretty rare to have them, like, play, like, a full-fledged game in the first chapter of a sports manga. And yeah, I think, absolutely. Like, yeah. I think Shudan hit the hit the ground running, and I just absolutely adored these first two chapters. And Jeff is totally right to praise the series and push for it and try and get everyone to read it because I, 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 I really want to see this in Jump. It just has so much potential, and it's just shown so much of it already. Yeah, I, I suppose that's worth uh, elaborating on a little. Uh, Jeff Ruberg, who. Uh, works on the, the digital and the app side of a uh, weekly Shonen Jump has been like the biggest stand for this series, trying to make sure that like everyone understands just how good it is and like retweeting anything he even sees someone say about it, which like I, I love seeing stuff for a company that handles something being that enthusiastic about it. But man, like Chudan is, it's an insanely good comic. I mean, it, I mean, you were just saying with how it actually starts off with a game and how rare that is. And like, it's true. Most sports manga will start by like giving you an aspect of the sport so you can see how this newcomer is, uh, talented at one thing and how that will lead them into the sport, which is like, I shield 21, slam dunk, solving anything. M- maybe not Croco's basketball, but like high cue. It makes a point of going, Oh, he, he, he jumps high in the first chapter. Like you get a game with that, but it's, it's scarcely a game because the other players don't really want to play or can't, as the case may be on either side of the team. And, uh, God, Shudan just handles it all expertly. And I, I still can't believe to this day that th- this author, the one who has done Shudan, who's done Straighten Up, who's done Koganero, is the same Yoko who, uh, really hit it big with 
Onani Master Kurosawa, a series about revenge masturbation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> certainly, certainly not a manga that you, that you'd uh, publish in Jump. Although, weirdly, it carries through like this really strong theme of uh, of casual progressiveness. Like, it's yeah. not doing a, a, a full push towards going, look at how well we're representing these people. But it's just almost normalizing the idea of a positive step in these directions. Like, the, the girls on the team, and there is this aspect of, uh, of Shoshi being like, oh, girls, that's weird, I'm a kid. But, like, that's just because he's a kid, and that's great. More, more jump comics need to do this thing of actually just knowing that a character can be what they are, like, gender-wise, looks-wise. I mean, we're still talking about Yoko, who did a pretty awkward cross-dressing character and straighten up, but, like, that was still well-intentioned, and it wasn't treated like a big deal, really. Like, mm-hmm. it was, like, it was there for gags, it was there for visual moments, but it was still just, this character's really cool. And it was like, sure, sure, why not? So, like, I, I love seeing this. And with the treatment of, uh, now I say, it's... It bodes well. I, I feel like Yoko is trying to change Jump from the inside, and it's kind of working, which is mm-hmm. terrifying. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, people have really, like, become very fond of Nase. I've seen, actually, a lot of fan art of her already. That's, you really? know, Yeah, I mean, I guess Jeff's been retweeting it, or, like, I follow, like, uh... Yokota on Twitter, so he's been retweeting it. It's like, it seems like people are really responding really well to this series and like are really getting excited about it. Like both on the Japanese side and on the English side. And, uh, there is also, of course, you know, the worry that, you know, soccer series won't succeed in jump, you know, especially with the recent example of Oli Glazo. Yeah, well, uh, not even recent examples. They've not had anything other than abject failures since Whistle ended in 2003. That's 14 years where every single football comic has been an unequivocal, like, failure. Yeah, but I'm hoping that Shudan can buck the trend because, you know, it may have only lasted for two years, but you wouldn't have suspected a dance board manga would even survive in Shonen Jump for as long as it did. But, you know, it it did because it was really good and, you know, people responded to it and there's still, and it's like it did develop a pretty good cult following. And I think, you know, Shudan, at least it's about a more mainstream sport. So it's like, it, it might even have a better chance than straighten up to have like a good length run and like really hit it big. I think if any series can do it, this will be the one. Like it's taking such a, an unconventional and like noticeable way of approaching the series. I think it's uh it's bucked a lot of the cliches that have stopped series succeeding in this. And and if it succeeds, maybe baseball has a chance too. Like this is the dream. Like I, I want all the sports comics that can't exist anymore to start making their way back. You're making me think of Buddy Strike and how much I was really enjoying that when that was ten running in this oh, It lasted ten weeks. Oh. <laughs> Kaito, my heart. I, I don't even like baseball, but that that series was was actually I thought it was really interesting. I don't feel um, I've ever actually watched a baseball game in my life, but it's still my favorite sort of comic. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> I mean, it's a whole genre in of itself. There's just so many. Well, it, it's Japan's uh, fake national sport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I just say b- before we move on that? Um, 
I, I totally get where you guys are coming from with your, um, I guess, praises with Shudan, because I, I do agree with a lot of what you guys said, and I do think this has potential. Uh, that being said, I just want to put out there, I only read the first chapters of both just because I... Uh, as 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 you guys know, work got in the way yesterday, but that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah, so I I kind of read shoot on on and off while I was while I was at work, and um, you know I I thought it, I thought it was an interesting way to start. Like you guys said, like it starts off with a game, and uh, you know I like how they include a girl player on their team, and it's again other than the normal elementary school or like mindset of like uh, a girl. I don't know what girls are. Um, <laughs> you know I. I, I thought it was nice that, it, it, like, it wasn't treated as a big deal. I like that it was just, it's just a normal thing. So I really appreciated those aspects, but I, I feel kind of bad that everybody really likes the series, and I I feel like I'm kind of the only one here that, like, I don't dislike it, I want to say that, but it also, I don't know if this person's works just doesn't click with me somehow, because I've, I've talked on here before about how I wasn't really, like, super into straighten up. Well, I thought it was all right, but I was like, eh, no, I, I don't know. I think that's the great thing about Jump Fly, Colton. You don't have to like it. You don't have to hate it. Like, there's enough other things going on that if it's a thing that doesn't feel like it's for you, like, you, you should be able to comfortably just, like, go, that's fine, and move on to another thing. That's the, fair enough. The problem being that, like, be, if we are all talking about it the way that pretty much everyone has for the last few weeks. I can totally get how it could feel like, I know, maybe a bit like you're on the outside when we won't shut up. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind people, I don't mind people talking about it, of course, because I think it deserves to be talked about, but it's just, I, I want to like this person's work, but somehow it's, they're just not clicking with me personally. I'm trying to think if I have an awful where I'm like that. Like, hmm. uh, Nothing comes to mind. Yeah, nothing comes to mind for me either. It's like I'm an too author positive about comics. <laughs> I I like to be as positive as I can about comics too. But you know, I because because I I even started it off with like you know I I recognize that Shudan does have a lot going for it, and I hope it does succeed. But I th I think this is just one of those things where like because I thought the first chapter overall was all right. Um, you know, I thought it was nice and adorable, but like this is definitely the kind of thing that like. I would rather wait and let build up first and see how it does and jump uh, like a year from, uh, from now or whatever, and then maybe start reading it from there. Um, I'm kind of doing the same thing with Robot and Laser Beam. Like, cause I, I thought that series was kind of interesting too, but it's like, I don't know. I, I, I'm like, I'm not a, I'm not a huge like fan of Kuroko's basketball. I've read about a volume of that and I, couldn't really get super into it, but I do want to try that series again. Um, well, I mean, if you're if you're waiting to look at Robot Laser Beam until it like it's further in or perhaps over, you might not have to wait too long. Oh yeah, oh man, is it that's, not doing that's well? That's going to really bum me out if it gets. Uh, well, I mean, we all know that by and large, the table of contents isn't a real thing that means anything at all. But, yeah, but uh, it's uh, but, but it's, it's all we got. Yeah. yeah, well, not just that, but general buzz around the title is is low, and you can start to see now things happening uh, with the series. Like you can see, Fujimaki's trying to make things more bombastic. They've introduced a new opponent as like a sort of big deal person, and they've got another sort of different look, which means it's going to have a different sort of appeal to female uh, readers. 
And they, he's made a point of taking off uh, Robato's glasses a lot, which I don't know if that's a response to people not really being into a main character who didn't have much in a way looks going on. I mean, you had this with Kuroko's basketball. Relatively early on, you could see they stopped giving him really flat hair and drawing him as a very flat, not their character, and went, he's also pretty. And suddenly the series <laughs> succeeded. So, like, I feel like it's not floundering, but you can see the cogs turning in the author's head where he's like, I need to make this work because it might not last more than another 10 weeks. I need I to make this marketable. Exactly, exactly. And if there's any author who can, like, just look how big Kuroko is. Like, <laughs> he, he Yeah, I mean, it. I remember Kuroko wasn't doing that great when it first started in Jump, but then it, you know, he turned it around and became really big. So he's done it before. Yeah, well, Editorial believed in it as well. It got so much support through its first year, despite the fact it wasn't quite making it, that, like, you know, and it was clearly, it clearly paid off because it's now one of their biggest sports titles ever. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the same thing can happen with Robot Laser. I mean, I hope it does, because it's really good. And Robot is such a really interesting protagonist. I really like how his arc's been playing out so far. But, um, yeah, just to go back around to Shudan, um, I, I really respect what it's been doing. And I can say that at least, but it, again, it's also just one of those things where I'm like, eh, I, I don't know. I had a I I had a, I had a complete thought there, but then I kind of lost it. I apologize. <laughs> that seems <laughs> to be okay, your perspective yeah. on uh, most of the jump starts. It seems I, I'm allowing us like a lot of time to meander and try and get thoughts out about Shidan because I don't want to move on to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> we can make it quick because I think we're. I mean, at least you and I are in agreement that uh, cross account is really bad. Uh, actually, can I can I start this one off? <laughs> Uh, okay. Go on, so, Tell us how you liked it, because it showed the bitterness in your heart. <laughs> tell us. <laughs> so, I'm, I, I want to start off by saying, because I think it's pretty obvious that Sid and Maxie are not a fan of the series so far. It, it's so weird. Well, I was reading this at work also, and I didn't really hate it, like, at all. I I actually thought the um I thought the social media slant was 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 a kind of an interesting angle to take it and I actually thought the same way you guys thought about Shudan I was actually thinking like oh this actually kind of has potential to like maybe give some kind of social commentary on social media at some point maybe um so I I again I I I kind of feel the same way you guys do about Shudan where it's like I think the series actually might have some potential down the line, but it could also go very horribly wrong. Um, so I was actually kind of, because I think I talked about it on the show before, like I wasn't really looking forward to cross account because it just didn't look like something that was really going to work. But I came out of it actually feeling a lot more positive about it than I thought I was going to be, strangely enough. So I just wanted to get my feelings out there real quick before you guys just utterly shit on it, because I really no, no, I really want to hear what you guys think of this. I, I, I will extend an olive branch here. The core ideas of Cross Account are solid. They are absolutely things that could have made for a good series. Like, to be savvy enough to actually properly do a manga series related to social media, to have to do with the ideas of acceptance and being true to yourself, there's so much potential to those ideas, which makes it all the more tragic that Cross Account by Sunhiro Date is in fact one of the most shitty backwards 
abysmal <laughs> things I've ever read with a moral message that is essentially about how, hey, you know how you keep your hidden identity online about all the hobbies you have and the, the things you like, your, your attacku self that craps on normies? Hey, those normies are crap, but you can be yourself in front of them and they'll like you anyway, even though you're still saying they're shitty throughout the comic. Which is, yeah. oh, it's bizarre. And you, you see this, you see this all the time in anime communities, especially in the West. These people who just roll back and say incredibly negative things about people who aren't involved in anime or manga communities because they're not like us. They live normal lives where they're socially accepted. It's like, dude, I'm getting married. I'm, I have a full-time job. I live out in a world I rent a house. I have a normal, socially acceptable life, but I also am deeply involved in a community of something I love. And I feel like it's a really bad message to give to go and say that the behavior of this main character is in any way acceptable. Also, like, the, the, the idol girl introduced in chapter two just totally gives me, like, a Himoto Maru-chan feel, which... <laughs> oh, yes! That's exactly what I was thinking with that character. That's not a good place to be. <laughs> but... Oh, God. It's like the series not only looks down on quote-unquote normal people, but it also looks down on Itako because it makes a point of, like, saying that the main character, Daichi, is not like those Otaku. Like, he doesn't oh, look God, as yeah. ugly or repugnant to them. He doesn't try to, like, uh, blackmail and rape a person, you know? He's not like them. <laughs> like, he's he's a, one of the good ones. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? And, God damn it! <laughs> he, he's a I good otaku. I've been so mad about the overall message it gives to like the teenagers reading it that I totally forgot about the incredibly messed up like uh, sort of rape signaling stuff with the otaku um, taking pictures of like the one of the love interests naked. Like, that was pretty. That uh, was pretty terrible. That was, that was grossly uncomfortable, which is a shame because, like, I thought some of the pervy jokes, whilst clunky as hell, were kind of funny. I mean, uh, Colin, you, you posted it up yourself, but, like, uh, he ends up having his childhood friend, like, put in between her uh, legs and rest his, rest her uh, breasts on his head. Like, and he ran away with an erection. It's like, that's, that's funny enough. <laughs> that I really mean, caught me off guard because it's like, I'm not, unless I'm reading Gintama, I'm not used to boners just being casually mentioned in Jump. It doesn't happen that often, to be fair. I mean, uh, it, it could happen in that uh, you... The, the series by the person did Kosame and I forgot what the series is called. Yuraki no Unisan? I don't know. Uh, but I I haven't read that, so I wouldn't know. It's It has stuff that could be good. Oh, uh, sorry. The core plot. A boy uses Twitter where he's terrible about other human beings. He makes a friend who has a poop emoji as their face. Turns out the girl's an idol. They've not met yet. You know, it's a it's an interesting enough premise. It could have had potential, but like the the messages and the characters are just terrible. Like Daichi is embodies the nice guy mentality. Yeah. Like he thinks yeah. that just because like he he's you know quote unquote normal or like projects an identity of being normal, he's entitled to friendships and entitled to girlfriends, and it's like what? Like, he, <laughs> but, he, but he's also like capable he's the, of being tough and rescuing girls given the chance using a fire extinguisher even though it scares him so girls should like him. Yeah and Ugh. oh the scene where he you know he rescues his childhood friend like he doesn't do that because that's the right thing to do right? Like he he 
he think he first thinks to himself, "Oh, is it is it I, is it okay for like a uh, otaku like me to rescue a normie like her? Uh, oh. She can handle it. Like she's she's fucking being sexually assaulted. Well, what are you thinking? What? How? What does that have to do with anything? And then you know the reason he says that he goes rescue her is because that's what a man does. Like, what is this stupid hype?" Hyper masculine, like subtext you're going on. Like, what is what kind of message is that? You know, you should have you saved her because she was in trouble. She was being sexually assaulted. That's what a decent human being does. It's been, what what are you? What is this message? It's so infuriating. The thing is, I I don't think I'd hate it half as much if we never learn hadn't come out just a few months earlier with like such an intent on doing, you know pervy fan service, but also giving positive messages about how to behave and live and interact with girls. Like, yes. Um, we never learn has such, you know, you know, great messages about like trying to pursue your dreams, you know, and, and not giving up and like how important it is for like there to be someone to, who believes in you and encourages you and how much that can mean to you. And then all sorts of other great messages. And it's never stopped having like so many good messages and like doing some really fun things with its premise and, you know, even subverting tropes at, at times. Like, I feel like, I feel like we never learned, like, yes, it's a, it's a harem manga, but I feel like it, it's, it knows the genre and knows, like, what to do so that it can, like, do things in a fresh enough way. And there are definitely yeah. some chapters that, you know, Mr. Mark and they, they feel, you know, pretty typical. But then there are other chapters, like the chapter where, like, Furuhashi, like, realizes that both Rizu and, uh, Uruka are like Yuga that, like, totally buck the trend. Because that's not some, that's not, like, uh, one of the love and, one of the, like, uh, Harem realizing that both all the other like two of the others like like uh like the main character that doesn't usually happen so early on like if you look, remember Nisekoi like that would have been that's that was something that happened towards the end of the series uh, Ochitoke and Onodera realized they both like Araku right but well, like this well, happened I mean in in here it was rather than being like an opportunity for the third girl to realize that maybe she likes him too, which I honestly don't think is ever going to happen. Instead, it just became this nice teachable moment where it shows how a friend can actually support friends in this situation. Because in a school, in schools in real life, these situations can happen where two friends like the same person. And I feel like it gives good advice on every party in real life, as to how they can approach this without it being a terrible childhood drama. Yeah. And exactly. that kind of... I mean, I, I know we're going a little off base here, but it feels like such a polar opposite to how Cross Accounts approached this so far, which I now have to say, to be fair, it's two chapters in. The third... Well, the third chapter will be out by the time this has gone out. And it, it could improve. The second chapter of Cross Account was better than the first. I, uh, I I didn't I mean, hate the second chapter at all. I didn't think it was good, but I I had no rage to muster. I mean, it was focusing on a character that wasn't Daichi, who is the worst. Like the uh, the Agreed. idol girl, she's a better. She's a she might be Umaru Chan, but she's still better than Daichi. Like I can still like when she's like 
It talks about counting calories and how much time it'll take the gym to burn it out. I'm like, okay, uh, you, there's some endearing aspects to you that I can get behind. I, I've, I've thought about, I've, uh, I've thought about <laughs> that kind of stuff too. So it's like, you know, but uh, I, you know, she's so like, maybe if the series was about her more then Daichi would be more tolerable. But- so basically, if Daichi wasn't the main character, I think this this series could actually work. Uh, if yeah. he wasn't there at all, then the comic would be very short, but it would be good, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, Daichi's whole arc of, like, wanting acceptance, it doesn't even make sense. Because, like, at the end of the first chapter, like, you know, he starts talking about Shonen Jump with some, you know, normal guys, quote-unquote, and they're like, oh, you like Jump? That's cool. Like, it's not a big deal. It's not that big a deal to simply like anime and manga. Like, it's clear that no one really cares that much, even in the school. Although, I'm going to throw this out here, because this is a thing. There is a segregation between your your public self and the self you keep hidden away in Japanese society. The, The idea that your hobbies and interests shouldn't necessarily be openly shared. So there, there is, I, I guess, something to sharing those interests, and that's fine. But I feel like in a in school and with Jump, that's not exactly the the stretch that they could have gone for there. Like, that, that's, that's a weak source. Like, oh, I said weak source, sorry. That's a weak-ass example. Yeah, because, like, I think I think you know all things considered, Jump is pretty mainstream as far as Japan goes. Yeah, yeah I mean it's it still circulates almost two million copies. That's pretty high. It's 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 like if over here, like you you said something like, "Oh, you oh you like Twilight? I like Twilight too." Like, or no, actually, Harry Potter I think would be a better example. Yeah, Harry <laughs> yeah. Would, would probably be the one to go for. Yeah, or Star Trek or Star you know, Wars like that. Yeah. Something like oh, that. Goodness, yes. God, yeah. the amount of people I've met who thought that liking Star Wars was uh, a rare thing, and I just think they've not spoken to many people about Star Wars. <laughs> do it, do they not socialize <laughs> with people? That's uh, okay. <laughs> well, I think it's just if you don't bring up your interests often. In fact, here's a message Cross Account could have had. If you don't bring up your interests with people, you don't learn if you share them. Exactly. Like, he, he just completely hides it with, like, without, like, even trying to, like, maybe make friends through those interests in real life. And There's an open assumption that these people don't like this stuff, and it makes them think they're better than him, which is an odd step forward. <laughs> yeah, and, like, you know, how can he make friends when he's, when he's looking down on the people he's trying to make friends with? Like, it, it's just that mentality that makes no sense to me. Like, he, 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 like... Uh, hates them for being normies and for having, like, girlfriends and stuff, and, like, you know, at the same time, he hates, like, he tries to distance himself from the otaku because, oh, he's not, he's not like them, he's not, like, a gross otaku or whatever, it's like, what, (laughs) what kind of person are you? What, what, like, what, what, if you, you can't belong anywhere if you don't want to belong, if you hate the people you're trying to belong to, how can you, like, belong anywhere, you know? Like, you gotta, you gotta be open to people. You gotta, like, you know, instead of, like, pigeonholing them into, like, this idea you have of them, you you have to try and get to, yeah, you have to try and get to know people, you know? And, like, I don't, maybe that'll be his character arc, but it doesn't seem like that from, like, how the first chapter presented it. 
it seems like he's just gonna, it's just all gonna come to him just, you know, naturally. And it's like, you know, you know, the thing I'm taking out of this conversation is high schoolers are really weird and fucked up. What? No, this is like totally (laughs) misconception of like what high schoolers actually act like. That's like kind of what we were talking about when comparing to We Never Learn. Like, We Never Learn, like, those characters feel like way more believable high schoolers. But, like, Daichi, he doesn't feel like a real person at all. He's just, like, he's, like, too self-obsessed, too self-absorbed to even feel real. And, like, I know there are people like that out there. But, like, it's just too much of an extreme with this character. I agree. Here's a question for the both of you. I, like, I, I know we've eventually got to move on to the main topic, but it occurs to me I, I should actually ask this because it, it feels like something that's on the cusp of being a thought that has to actually be thrown out here. Um, a silent voice, that, that thing you guys know and like has a lot of stuff to do with, uh, a self-chosen social exclusion, right? Like with the, the people's faces crossed out and stuff. How do you find this compares to that because it's social exclusion uh by their own volition like in both cases i mean it's more self-imposed on the part of daichi in this case whereas with shoya in a silent voice it did have to do with like other people ostracizing him like other people like bullying and excluding him that caused him to for many years like be alone and stunted his ability to form new social relationships so with the idea there that he actually faced hardships, whereas Daichi in this yes. has not... His hardships is that he gets to see girls in lingerie. Like, would you say this is the key difference that means that a silent voice is able to do that sort of stuff effectively, whereas in this it feels really trite? Yeah. I'd, I'd say mean, so, yeah. Yeah, mm. like... The the circumstances in this that don't even make sense. Like, you know, even with that scene, with Daichi, like, walking into the girl's locker room, like, you know, even if, you know, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense at all that they would just, like, continue changing while, like, he's there. Even, like, that's, that, that's just, that's too unbelievable. Like, he's still... Uh, they, he's still a guy. Like, they might not, like, see, see him quote-unquote as a, a real guy or whatever, but they would still, like, shut the door, you know? You know, they they might not make a big deal of it, but they would at least shut the door. They don't even do that. They just the think about continue that scene, on. It's just again. a cheap excuse for an extended fan service scene that makes no sense and to self-perpetuate this nice guy mentality of this main character to look down on these women for not thinking of him as a real guy. Not like those other guys, but because he's better than those other guys. It's like, <laughs> oh my god! The stupid, nice... Why did we need a nice guy the manga in Shonen Jump? God damn it! <laughs> is that a thing to consider here, right? Is we Never Learn had a pretty awkward instance of fan service where the two girls uh, fought about the main character whilst washing themselves. And that felt like a weird little misstep, a bit of bad fan service that since the series has corrected on, but in that first chapter was awkward as heck. I'm amazed that a comic in the same year managed to have a worse case of forced fan service in Jump. Yeah. Like, that is... Whew. Also, Sid, did you die? I wish I did. I, <laughs> I wish I did. I got really upset. This, this is a bad <laughs> manga. This is a bad manga! Wheelord is walking out of the room, just like, he's, he's just trying to shrink away. <laughs> he's like, he got spooked. Wheelord's never coming back. 
I'm sorry, Maxie was trying to explain his point, and I was I was really trying hard not to like laugh and try to interrupt him. I, I was like, I, I was like, I've got to force this out now because we we're all going to just fucking go into hysterics if I don't. I I, 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 it's just now hitting me that I, I love, I love how Sid's like, yeah, I wish I died instead of reading this. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's a pretty good review across the count. I wish I died instead of reading this first chapter. <laughs> I wish I did write that in my review. But uh <laughs> that, that's just like that is like some angry video game medal. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Oh man, this this theory oh. the series really inspires a lot of iron me. Oh man, I I haven't felt this mad about a series in a long time. I, I, I was, I was, I, I think it was three days straight. I kept trying to do other stuff on social media or talk about other stuff to people in the real world. And I actually just kept coming back to how much I hated this fucking comic. But yeah. Okay. So I think we should move on to talking about something that we like. So, so we can regain our First composure. I'll mention that uh, a better series that like shows a character that like has this kind of nice guy mentality, but eventually learns to, that it's it's bullshit and he needs to get over himself. Is Re Zero, and that's a really good uh, story and really good uh, critique of the self hating otaku and uh, like the uh, white knighting and all that. So go watch that instead of uh, instead of reading Cross Account, which has like uh, no self awareness at all. Yeah, um, um, basically what I'm getting out of this conversation is man there's there are some neat things in in cross account that i think could I, there are some good ideas in there but yeah daichi as a main character is it's just just a bunch of bullshit really like he's he's pretty terrible the more i think about it yeah i i guess i didn't really read too deeply into his character when i was when i was reading the first chapter yesterday but yeah now, now that you bring it up yeah he's he's pretty terrible and his thought processes just don't make sense at all I'd, I'd love to see a, uh, this is going to sound really mean, but I, I read the author's previous series, Tokyo Wonder Boys, and that was quite bad. So like, I, I would really like to go and see uh, an author who's refined themselves into something a bit less rough handle this sort of series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least doesn't have this uh, really toxic uh, mentality that, you know, they're entitled something. Yeah, let's talk about some series with some really great messages, you know? Let's talk about some series that will, will actually, you know, give you a self-respective look and, like, you know, teach you to really, really look at yourselves in a better light. That's our segue into talking about two great uh, LGBT-related top comics, My Brother's Husband and My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness. I guess, um, I guess should we talk about lesbian experience first? Sure. Absolutely. My Lesbian Spirits with Loneliness is a true story that says right there on the cover, uh, in brackets, by Nakata Kabi, who originally published this on Pixiv as a webcomic, and it got super popular, and eventually, you know, it got collected and released in print, and that now, uh, Seven Seas has licensed it and released it over here. And it accounts her Basically, 10-year struggle 
dealing with depression and many self-destructive habits like binge eating, cutting herself, uh, just social alienation, and then, of course, dealing with her, you know, coming to terms with her own sexuality and, like, kind of taking a hard look at herself and, like, what she really wants, you know, as a person. And, like, man, this... God, this, uh, this kind of, this story really hit close to home for me. I don't know about you guys, but man, I, it was hard to read because I, as I was going through this, I was like, oh my God, I've, you know, I've thought this, I've done stuff like this, and, uh, it's not even that distant for me when I was like thinking like this. And I still like think like, think like how Kabi does, how Kabi does about like herself and like about, you know, trying to please her parents instead of, like, focusing on herself and, like, not really being certain about what she wanted out of life. And it's like, oh, man. It, it really... I mean, this is a true story, and, you know, it feels... Re- and I mean, obviously, it feels real because it was real. This is what, like, a real person went through. And, man, the way Copy tells it is just so... So beautiful, so direct, she's just so direct and honest about everything, and is willing to talk about things that, you know, I rarely see talk about, especially, like, in manga, and and even in autobiographical manga, like, her own Freudian psychoanalysis of her Oedipal complex was, like, wow, that, I mean, she, she's really become self-aware about, like, how her sexuality has been shaped, and that's really interesting, just all the different, like, a way she, you know, comes to, like, think about her sexuality and, like, what's formed, like, her ideas of sex and why she had, and, like, why she sh- used to shun sex for so long and, like, how every part of her depression really fed into each other and to, like, create this vicious cycle of, like, you know, self-hatred and, you know, losing, like, kind of a self-identity and then, like, how she needs she needs to get out of that and how she did by like really stop stop thinking about like what other people want something about like trying to please her family and like do what other people like want to expect her to do or at least what she expects they expect her to do really because that's not actually what they want but you know she needs to start pursuing what she wanted and so she does and through like her pursuing her passion for manga that starts putting her on a healthier path and then she finally you know gets the courage to have a sexual experience with a lesbian escort and it's this it's this hilariously awkward and kind of disappointing thing but like afterwards she's able to reflect on it and reflect on okay so you know that's why some things went wrong but like you know, I did. I, I'm finally on the side of the people who know. And then it all comes to, like, the ending where she's, like, she reflects on how everyone is looking for this sweet nectar in this life. This, like, this, this uh intangible thing that will give them, like, personal happiness. Will make them feel full of happiness. And then the form it takes changes from person to person. And, like, what gave her happiness in high school, she can't really, you know take that anymore but like she's found like a new nectar to give her happiness through her passion with manga through like talking with fans and interacting online and then you know she's you know maybe not uh like rebuilt like a thriving social life but she doesn't feel alone anymore so it's just you know really 
inspiring story that, like, man, it really hits close to home if you've ever been, like, depressed and you have, you have like, the, all these, like, symptoms of, you know, depression that take various forms. And it's like, man, I've just been praising the hell out of this for, like, five minutes. I want to hear what you guys think because, man, I, I got a lot out of this book, you know. I'm just waiting for you to stop for breath. To be <laughs> that, that that was a a big old heaping of praise and exploration there. Like that that was that was passionate. Sid. that was full of life. Yeah. Uh, I I actually really want to talk to like a, a healthy quantity of my uh, lady loving female friends because the the part that really sticks with me at the series of psych that uh, makes me curious is the stuff about how a lot of her realisation about uh, her, her attraction to women came from experiences with her mother. And I'm like, that seems odd. Like, I, I get the psychological stuff behind it. It's kind of Oedipal or whatever, but it, that strikes me as a very unique experience to them more than something I've ever heard anywhere else. Yeah, I, I, I kind of thought the same thing. I mean, I, at the basic concept of like, you know, people maybe are looking for someone who's like a parent to them that they can also have sex with. I think that is a mentality a lot of people might have. I definitely have heard it before. So Me too, the way yeah. that Kabi explains it, like, yeah, I totally understood where she's, where she's coming from with that. And like, that felt believable to me. I mean, like, there's, there's daddy issues and stuff. There's just, uh, and things where people look for someone who's like their parent. But I think it's just a very direct way that she talks about an actual attraction to her mother that I was kind of like, huh. But I mean, that, 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 that weirdly is the closest thing to a negative point I have to say about this. Because I mean, do you, you really kind of hit the nail on the head about what this does so well, uh, with how relatable and candidly, uh, the author talks about depression. Like, and, and not just the depression, but the ways to deal with that and the, the issues of self-worth, uh, due to perception by others, particularly parents. Like, it's all very, oh, it, it, it was killing me to read at times. It was, it was too relatable. Almost. Oh, especially the first chapter. That was just, mm. oh, it just hurt my heart because, oh my God, I have, I have done more of the things that she's done that I, that I, I, I care to admit, but. Uh, that that's just part of like the power of this book is like you know if you've ever been depressed or if you are you know still in that depressed mindset or fall keep falling back into it like you look into this and like it's just like makes you really give yourself a self-reflexive look and like okay why are you acting like this and like how can you get out of this uh, depressive behavior and like it's just so remarkable that th this manga, this 140-page manga, encapsulate 10 years of life lessons, and it's just so, so valuable to, like, just get this, like, record of experiences, and, like, this, this account of, like, how this person, like, escaped depression, and, like, I, I don't even know if she's, like, completely escaped depression, she might still fall back into it sometimes, but, like, well, you, it's, you never, you never really escape it. Yeah, but it's just this self- like, now she's just so much more self-aware about, like, why she acts the way she does when she's depressed. And, like, that, that you mm. know, will reflect back on the reader, I feel. Like, if you read this, you might start to recognize aspects about yourself, aspects about your depression that you never really was able, were able to contextualize or, like, you know, take a hard look at. But, you know, it can, like, open your mind to, like, start thinking about yourself and how, and how to start, like, loving yourself and treating yourself better, you know, and... Yeah, like, there's, there's literally 
I, I think at one page that does the most of this, just showing how simple self care and like a little bit of effort put into how you present yourself and how you act around others that can actually just solidly help lift you out from wherever you are. Like, yeah. and it's the self care stuff's really important because obviously it's very risky being candid about your own experiences with depression without also talking about any possible solutions because it can often validate other people's negative actions. Yeah. Uh, but I, I feel like it, it's a very responsibly told story whilst also still being very, very funny and heartwarming and tearing you to pieces when it needs to. Like, it, it, it's an excellently done sort of a, a autobiocomic, really. Yeah, her candid honesty is just, you know, so endearing because she's not afraid to you know admit things that like other people might shy away from like that you know Oedipal complex she had with her mother it's like you know there's just a lot of, and she just is really great at like communicating very simple drawings just such powerful emotions like i think to that moment where uh, uh, that pa- the panel like that shows her after like she's experienced her first kiss and like throughout the you know comic she draws herself in this very super deformed style and in that one panel after the kiss like she draws her face with like a more realistic proportion and it's like that just that just one simple image just communicates so much about like the transcendence of that moment to her to her than like words could ever describe so she is you know, this art style may be simple but it has just so much nuance to it, and she's just incredibly skilled. And well, it's the it's the sort of art style that is um, it, it's simple but not basic. It's clear that she actually is good at art, but it's a stylistic choice uh, for a web manga. Exactly. I think one of my favorite like little um. The little things about her illustrations. I I really like the portions of the comic where um, I forget exactly what she talks about, but she she talk like I kind of like how she represents like this kind of lack lackadaisical like sense of days that she goes through by like I, I I like how she represents that by just having like all these like little balls fall out of her head and stuff. I I really thought some of that was really interesting. Yeah, she has some great visual metaphors in here as well. This is really powerful stuff, and I think this is an important book to read for you know anyone to ha- who has depression to understand themselves better. For people who have, maybe have never experienced depression, to you know to understand the mind of depressed people better. And I think this is definitely like a great book to read, you know, in terms of like opening your mind about like exploring your sexuality, because like it might, she, her, she might be a lesbian, but like the stuff she's talking about is like broadly relatable to like, you know, anyone. Like when, yeah, when, when she was talking about like, you know, not wanting to be defined as just a woman, but it's not like she wanted to be a man eater. She, you know, just, didn't want to be like pigeonholed as like one sexual identity. Like that's how I feel about myself. Uh, like I've always felt that. And it's, there's so many things like that in this book that like, you know, you might not be in, you're not, might be a lesbian. You're not, might be attracted to women, but like the idea, like the ideas behind like her exploring her sexuality and the story behind it is just so relatable. And it's just really, Really moving and eye-opening in a way. If you if you like, just don't know where to begin with that. 
I like how it's uh, it's not necessarily a book about being a lesbian. Like it deals with that stuff, and it it gives a good amount of time to the the, the realization, the, the the process, what this means for her. But it isn't just about that. There's a real bad trap a lot of LGBT books fall into where they will always be books that are essentially about a character's sexuality, which isn't bad. But I feel like there aren't enough books where that's just an aspect of anyone who doesn't fit the the straight cis model. So, like, that that was kind of great to see, especially for a book that, like, the, the, the key plot point it revolves around is, like, a, a visit to a lesbian escort service. Like, that says a lot for how well told this story is. Yeah. It's, like, very broadly relatable. I feel like a lot of people can read this and, like, they can see some aspect of themselves in copy, or at least some aspect of someone they know in copy. And it's, yeah, it's just a very, like, moving story. And, I, I mean, I got a lot of, I, again, maybe, I'm, it hits really close to home, so, of course. I, but, I, yeah. I feel like, I feel like I'm in that category of people where I, I don't relate to all of her problems, but I, I feel like there were definitely some aspects of her, of her life that I, I sort of related to as well. Um, so, something, uh, I tweeted about too was uh near the end where after she spends time with her with her escort something that uh you know not not to get too personal but like so, something I really wish uh, so, something something I wish that uh I had learned myself was uh the like like the one panel that I think that really struck me the most personally was uh was I'm just going to read it word for word here where she says uh I thought sex was something anyone could do as long as you had a working crotch but that isn't how it works. Sex is communication. Yeah. Yes, that, I, I think if there's any one like thing to quote from that as the possibly the best line, that is it. Yeah, this is this is something I I wish I had. Um, you know, in in my fear experiences personally, I really wish I had kind of. I, I wish I understood that. I wish younger Colton of a couple years ago understood this. This book makes a great case of why we need to have like more open discussions about sex in like in our culture i mean this is japanese culture but like even in our our culture especially you know we shy away from specs we like we you know shun it as like this this thing to be ashamed of and you know this is like something we need to start like her story and like like her misconceptions about sex and like how that kind of you know hurt her first time like you know it makes a good case about like that we need to like start speaking more directly about what it really means to have sex, what a sexual experience like really entails, mm-hmm. and like you know that it's that it's really an emotional thing, and that it's something that it requires like two people to really understand each other, to you know, to really do do well, and like to to have to like you know get a great experience out of you it. You need to be able to understand what each of you wants from that experience like how because she yeah, like basically yeah, just, she mentions yeah. a, a like a i don't know uh like so a statistic or like a a line that like 
when some, a lot of teenage girls get confusion when they have their first sexual experiences because they, they don't really want to have sex. They just like want to have, be cuddled or like, you know, to hold, even hold heads or just even have a warm meal with the person they like. And it's like, yeah, you know, you don't really know what you want in terms of sex like when you're when yeah. you're confu- confused at even the idea of what it is and like your ideas of it have been led astray by like fiction that doesn't depict it like realistically like boys love manga like uh did with copy I mean, it, this almost feels like an extension of the sort of stuff that was happening a few years ago because of 50 shades of gray where uh, a negative portrayal of a very particular sort of sex being BDSM was uh, at such a cultural forefront that people were learning the wrong lessons about sexual communication. Yeah. Uh, I mean, completely mischaracterizing a, a perfectly safe activity, if not actually one of the sexual activities so heavily rooted in clear communication that any work that really deals with it has such room for positive messages about sex in general, which seems like I'm off to the side a little bit, but I, I feel like that's key because you do get... A lot of comics, a lot of media that make a point of making it clear how important communication is to this stuff that just isn't out there enough to really inform the people who need to read it. Like, if, if in a better world, I would be able to do something like, say, go down to a bookstore and find best-selling comic, Nana and Kaoru, and just go and say, hey, guys, you should read this. It teaches very positive lessons about sexual communication. They'd be like, great, and people would learn. But uh, sadly, the comics market isn't super great at that. And I feel like this book, like, actually is a pretty good step towards it. Especially because, like, it's doing pretty well in the West. It's been getting a lot of attention. Yeah. Like, it, it hit BookScan, like, pretty easily, as I understand it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm finally impressed. It has room to be the sort of comic book that has a cultural significance that grows outside of the niche market it lives in. It won't just be thought of as, oh, it's a manga book. It will be, this is, if you read a comic book, this is one that you should read, which actually stands true for uh, the other comic we're going to talk about today as well. But my God, like this, this as, as much as it doesn't necessarily do a huge amount with comic craft, despite the fact that I think it looks good and it tells its story well, like the, the things it does with the, the autobiographical story it's telling is crucial. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm, I'm going to be obsessed with this comic for a while and trying to sell it to, to non-comic reading friends, to comic reading friends, to everyone I possibly can. It, it's pretty good. 10 out of 10. I mean, we don't, we don't rate books on this, but 10 out of 10. I gave it a 10 out of 10 in my review of it. So, yeah. This is, this is true. This is true. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I would give it about the same score. Maybe, may, may, maybe a 9 out of 10 because I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty hard to please. Uh, a, a 10 is a difficult number to give to anything, I find. Like, it, it, it's a, it's a difficult choice. So, not, not gonna, not gonna downplay you giving a 9. You're not, you're not a games journalist, and I'm not the sort of people who comment <laughs> on game reviews. You know, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not an anime journalist. Uh, I'm not a journalist of any kind, thankfully. You're, you're not. You're not a. I'm not a Metacritic hound. 
Yeah, but it, it, it seems like a terrible place to be in because people demand you give perfect scores so that aggregate sites can have, like, this become the new thing that's more popular in Ocarina of Time. There you go. That's the uh, that's the definitive statement here. Here's your pull point for a reprint of this. Uh, my lesbian ordeal with loneliness is better than Ocarina of Time. You can take that one to the bank. Um. Excellent. Uh, shall we talk about my brother's husband? Yes. Yes. So uh, I, I think we should move on to our, our next series we we're going to be talking about here. Um, one that I think is probably going to become one of my new favorite series, I'll be perfectly honest. Oh. Uh, known as My Brother's Husband. Yes, My Brother's Husband, uh, Gengaro Tagame, who is very well known for his Bara manga, which depict like some pretty, uh, a lot of heavy hairy man having some pretty rough sex. And so this is a pretty, pretty... Uh, I, I was talking about good bondage. Uh, I'm going to throw out here. Gengaro Tagame. Good bondage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, not featured in this series. Yes, this is a big deviation from his usual fare. This is more of a slice of life family drama story that takes a very, like, adept look into, like, prejudices against, like, gay people in Japan and, like, misconceptions, like, some people can have about them. And then also just about the story about, like, this this family kind of just coming together and, like, you know, a dad gets to ha- has his mind kind of changed about, like, certain things thanks to the influence of his daughter and also just starting to interact with, you know, his brother's husband, Mike, who comes to Japan to mourn, uh, you know, his husband's and the main character's, Daichi's brother's passing. And it's just a really open and, like, kind of frank discussion about misconceptions, like, people can have about gay people and, like, how unfounded a lot of the assumptions are and also how hard it is to, like, fight prejudices, but how also... In the innocent eyes of a child, like, they don't really think about or see these things, and they, like, accept it as normal. And, like, the hopeful, optimistic message of, like, acceptance that can come in the future, thanks to that. Yeah, if there's something that this series does well, aside from a lot of things, really, that I would have to point out, it's that this series does a very good job of really, um of showing the differences between how adults and children see things. And those are some of the, por- those are, those are some of the best scenes I think in the entire series so far. Right. Cause Daichi has this, like, there's often scenes in the book where Daichi will like envision like something, a, a particular reaction that he expects Kana to have, but, like, in reality, Kana will have, like, the complete opposite reaction. When, like, uh, Kana asks, men can marry other men? And, like, Daichi thinks, like, oh, she's gonna respond, like, oh, that's weird, but, like, oh, well, why can't they marry men in Japan if they can marry overseas? So, you know, like, Kana is, like, really, like, accepting and, like, open to the idea of, like, gay relationships, whereas Daichi has all these, like, misgivings and misconceptions about it that get continually challenged the more he gets to realize that Mike is just, like, another human being. And the love he had for his brother is, like, no different from, like, the love any other person, like, straight or otherwise, would experience for another person. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking at the page right now, and Daichi just assumes that Kana thinks, oh, men marrying each other is weird because, oh, well, men marrying each other, isn't that weird? But, like, Kana thinks it's weird because, oh, well, it's weird that it's okay overseas, but not here. Yeah. Like, what's up with that? And another great scene is, like, when Kana asks Mike, like, who was the husband and who was the wife in, like, Mike and uh, Daiki's, Ryoji's relationship. And, like, Mike just, you know, very simply explains to her that, like, they were both husbands because, like, a husband is a man and Ryoji and him were both men. So, you know, they were, they were both each other's husband. And Kana gets it just immediately. Like, it, it just makes sense to him. And Ryoji was, but, but, like... Basically... And, They're basically explaining the logic puzzle that doesn't need to be a logic puzzle. Yeah, and because Daichi, you know, himself was, like, assuming the same thing. He, like, like when Kana asked the question, he, like, spit out his dinner and, like, was thinking, Kana, watch your mind, because he thought that was, like, a rude thing to ask. But, like, when he, when he thinks about it, like, he realizes, you know, he, he thinks about, like, why he, like, just made the assumption about that and why that would be, like, uncomfortable subject discussion. And it's because, like, he... Was a zoo, he was like pigeonholing like a gay relationships and uh, what couples and marriages are is something that's naturally between men and women, and that like in a homosexual relationship, like one of the partners would have to take up like the role of the opposite sex, but that's just not the case. And like during this moment, like Daichi kind of his eyes are kind of opened that like he doesn't really know, like anything like there's no like no one's playing like another role like they're just themselves they're just people you know and like they're equal partners in their in their relationship yeah i'm i was actually kind of surprised at how um how early on in uh in like i guess about the halfway point uh because it's four volumes long um all together i was kind of surprised with how uh how much of a turnaround uh, Daichi as a character has in terms of his views on on um, on gay marriage and whatnot, and how I, I was I was I was I was pleasantly surprised at the at the kind of turnaround he had by the end of what would essentially be volume two, because um, these are being released in um, two and ones. When which, by the way, I I'm I'm actually legit upset that I don't know when the next volume of this is coming out because I do want to read the rest of this so I bad. I spent an hour trying to find out. Like I, I needed to know, <laughs> but I could probably, I could kind of understand why because I think like we were just talking on the show a couple episodes ago about how this series has just ended in Japan, mm-hmm. so I wouldn't be surprised if the fourth volume isn't even out in Japan yet. Well, and and this is the thing, but well, the fourth volume is the final volume, as I understand yes. it. So like we're we're only getting one more volume because of this format. Yeah, which like I I'm fine with a wait, knowing that that means I'll have a complete series that easily. Oh yeah. Yeah, but I, I, after after I read the first volume of this, I was I need more. Like I want to see where this goes. It's just I it's good. I really I really appreciate everything it does. Like I was talking earlier about how nice it was that um, Lesbian Ordeal with Loneliness like was able to not necessarily be a series completely about sexuality, and this is kind of like that. But it it does revolve around Mike and his sexuality because it's. It's taking the no stupid question approach to this sort of story. I feel like this is Tagame reaching out to a wider audience that would normally read his work and go and say, I want you to understand me and what it's like being a person like me. 
uh, by giving you not necessarily the absolute answers, but his answers as to how human anyone is, regardless of sexuality, but specifically he and and gay people in general, and gay men in particular, can be despite any sort of preconceptions that may be laid at their feet by uh, a, a particularly judgmental Japanese society. Right. I think what's important about this series is that, yeah, it deals with sexuality, but, like, I think it's important that this series is told from the perspective of Yaichi, who is heterosexual. Who is, who, who is a straight Japanese man. Like, I, I think, I think having the story being kind of told from mostly his perspective, I think is an important thing. And I think it is an, is an important facet to making the story just that much more universal. I wonder about that, because I feel like Yaichi is also taking a hard look at his own sexuality, too, throughout the book. And, like, you know, realizing maybe there's something he's been repressing about himself. So, you know, maybe there, so maybe there's even, there's more behind, like, him and his I, sexuality. I get, I, I got that about that. I got that feeling reading the book that, you know, there may be something. He may have been repressing, like, a part of his sexual identity. Because, like, he had these preconceived, you know, and uh, misunderstandings about what it meant to be gay. But at the same time, like, the the series, like, makes a point to show that it's n- that these people, the gay people, like, all people aren't defined by their sexuality. Like, that's not all that there is to them, that they're people and there's, like... All of us are, you know, human beings and they, we experience the same thing. And, like, the love between two men you know, has the same emotional underpinnings as love between a man and a woman and uh, women, and two women, you know? So I think that's, like, what is really great about the story is that it really, like, shows that... It really, you know, shows that these aren't, like, a strange, like, distant, you know, thing. These are just, like, every people who are living, like, normal everyday lives. It genuinely means a lot to me as a, as, as a bisexual person just to see that this is trying to have such a, a well-intentioned message and reach out to people and just be like, hey, we're people. Like, that That feels extraordinarily rare, especially in a particular comics industry where the stuff that comes over to English is... Fetishistic. The worst. Yes, fetishistic. I mean, particularly Yaoi. Like, it's nice to see a series that doesn't go straight to... uh purely effeminate characters interacting, falling in love, and discovering they have a magical hole that isn't quite like an anus and isn't positioned right. Yeah. Look, the yaoi hole's a real problem. Uh, <laughs> the, the, my, my lesbian ordeal alone has actually uh, uh, mentioned that in passing, and Jesus. So, like, it, it's nice. I'm not saying that Barristoff's necessarily a solution, but it's a diversity. It's a diversity of identity that I feel was drastically missing from uh, English language manga. Mm-hmm. And Oh, God, there's so much stuff I can say about this as well. Like, just on the adaptation level, uh, I want to give a big shout-out to how this handles uh, Mike as a native English speaker, because he's Canadian. Uh, like, every time uh, an English term comes up where there isn't a convenient Japanese alternative, it will be uh, sounded out in a, a sort of a phonetic Canadian, so that, like, it's clear that he's, he's saying it. Uh, in his own language, as opposed to in translated Japanese. Like, uh, when, when we come to the, the husband and wife role conversation, he goes, no, we're, we're both, uh, uh, husbando. And it's like, yeah, that's, cause obviously it's 
it's a completely different reading experience to how it would have been in the original Japanese. And I feel like Pantheon have handled that so well that I, I honestly kept stopping every time it happened in the story just to admire how how good an adaptation this is. Yes. I really enjoyed the nuances in the translation myself as well. Oh, also, um, Yaichi being, being a father is kind of great. Because, I mean, saying how a lot of this is about his perceptions and, uh, and how it's perceived through the eyes of a child, which is, it's really important, you know, children of the future, the way they perceive these relationships is key. But it's, it's how being a father tempers him saying what would have been quite impulsive and harmful things that are based on his preconceptions because he, he often will only say them in private or in his own imagination because he, he's aware, it, like, just instinctively as, as a parent, as an adult human, that, that the things he says in front of his daughter will affect how she thinks about stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I think that's, it doesn't even need to be explicitly said in the story. It's communicated very well through the visuals and through this, this storytelling device of him indulging in his assumptions on how a conversation will go or his internal thoughts and then the reality not matching up to it. Right. Like, especially like later on in the book where like one of Kana's friends, you know, her parents tell her that they don't want her to hang out with their daughter because they think Kana's going to be a bad influence because they've learned, you know, about Mike. And like, yeah, she's thinking about like how, you know, devastating would be like if Kana got the idea that like, her Mike is like somehow a bad person or something or is like somehow undesirable just because other people like are, are are projecting like their misconceptions about him. And it's like, you know, that's just a, you know, very powerful scene about like how important it is for like children to kind of grow up in like a, a very accepting environment and also the challenges there are in like in a, in a society that just doesn't like accept gay people like broadly, especially in Japanese society, but even in, you know, American society, we still have people like that, you know, who think ill of gay people and, you know, and, you know, that can be hard and like children, especially of children who have like homosexual relatives to like, you know, come to terms with the fact that there are people out there who like hate one of their loved ones just because of their sexual identity. I, I feel like Tagami actually does really well to uh, point a finger uh, of a lot of Japan's prejudices towards this stuff at uh, how reserved they can be about things. There, there's a, a, a small running thread about hugs I feel like is uh, emblematic of the larger problem at Japan's societal core towards uh, any level of affection, let alone uh, what may be perceived as unconventional by them as something like a gay relationship. Like, be- because this is a society where a hug between a daughter and a father is unusual enough that even in a private setting, Yaichi is he- hesitant to even consider it and actually does not do it. Like, uh, J- Japan's repression is is brought up a few times in this series, and I, I think that's not a bad place to look at the difference that's there and what the story's doing. Yeah, actually, just kind of speaking of that, I, I, I think from the very first like two pages, double page spread, uh, whatever you want to call it, that like the 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 level of like 
intelligence in the series really like struck me because um the, the the first like two pages of of the series are just this this what what you could tell was colored but is grayscaled obviously for the physical release um because color costs money um and uh it's it's just a nice double page spread of uh of you know mike and yaichi and uh kana on a ship and uh the the, the first chapter of the series is called the the black ships arrive, which, you know, I'm no Japanese history major, but even I kind of caught on to that. It's the, like the first double page spread and chapter title alone are an allusion to really significant changes in, in Japanese culture where yeah, rival of Commodore Perry. Yeah. Where basically uh, Japan eventually started opening up to trade uh, to trade with the West kind of forcibly. And the, yeah. it's sort of kind of the case here, like, Mike, uh, like, actually kind of, like, unwillingly has to, like, accepts Mike into his home. But then... Yeah, where, where y- Yaichi is forced to deal with change. I mean, I- ironically, because of the politeness of Japanese society, like, he can't say, oh, don't be here. Like, he... He kind of has to accept because the circumstance feels forced upon him. Yeah, I mean, we see that we see that like duality in like his character and like in like those in the sequences where like he's thinking one thing, but then like he actually says another thing. And usually, what the thing he's thinking is like a lot more aggressive and assertive, and then the thing he actually says is is a little more, uh, you know, tr- attempts to be a little more polite. There's that interesting uh, contrast in like what Yaichi actually thinks and, like, what he actually, like, says. And then that also contrasts later on, of course, with Ka- the scenes with Kana and, like, his assumptions of what Kana will say and what she actually says. And, I mean, and you get to see how much he opens himself up to the possibility of, like, her being able to say anything because he has uh, the, the dream sequence where she uh, marries a woman. Yeah, it's, that's how this volume ends, and I'm interested to see where it's going to go from... In the next volume. I, I feel like how he processes that is going to dictate, like, a good chunk of the next story. But I I, I really like that, because it's almost like his subconscious is coming around, because he's considering the possibility of the person he cares about uh, the most having this sort of lifestyle, and how he would deal with that. Oh, uh, another thing. This is massively tangential, I'm sorry. But uh, I find it interesting as well. Like, Yaichi is is clearly flawed. I mean, he, he has the prejudices. But they they lay down a lot of hints. You know, he he is divorced because he used to be abusive in marriage. Like, it, it's... Which is intimated rather than outright said, but that it, it's clearly what they're intimating. It's pretty heavily implied. Mm. And I, I feel like that's... That's really interesting, because it, it's showing that an ordinary relationship can be torn apart, not just by grief, which was Mike's assumption, and both, I, I, was, I was saying this on Twitter, both Mike and me got to feel like complete idiots when Yaichi's ex-wife turned out to be alive. Yeah, that, that kind of caught me off guard, too, because I, I really... Which was great. I really just assumed that, that the wife was dead. Mm. <laughs> I guess I was genre savvy enough to, to call the fake out. <laughs> you were smarter than either of us, yeah. But like, I, I think it's just interesting because it, it shows both straight and queer relationships can be 
can be perfectly normal and flawed. Like I, I feel like that's an important angle that's being taken there. And it's not that there's love loss between the two characters. I'm pretty sure they go off to go and have sex off panel at one point. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's clearly some sort of love there, but it, it shows that there are complications and difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my, probably my favorite part of the entire volume is when, um, is when the, the older brother of one of Kana's friends is seen kind of sneaking around, um, Yaichi's household. And when he finally catches him, it turns out that this kid just wants to talk to Mike and basically come out to him. Yeah. I, I thought, I thought that was, that was probably my favorite part of the entire volume. Like, I wanted to cry. That really struck me. Yeah, that was a really sweet moment. I, I found that really interesting. Not, not everyone gets that opportunity, and for even a fictional character to get it there, and for it to be treated so sincerely and respectfully, and like, it took the step back so you wouldn't risk, uh, awkward dialogue over it as any writer can fall into, regardless of sexuality, and instead just gave it room to breathe as, as a mostly silent scene, it's really. It's visually, which is great too. Mm, which is, and it's told so well visually, so well. And like, uh, it, it's weird, like, I've, I've never had to, uh, to deal with the scenario of coming out myself. I, I, I basically just decided one day that I was just going to just casually drop it into conversation every now and then. And people would just kind of be like, Oh yeah, no, we, we probably thought that you were bi. And I was like, yeah, that it was always been pretty obvious as far as I've been as a human being. Uh, but I, I feel like there, there is this ridiculous value here of being able to just to come out to someone who is out and have their support that, so many people in any society do not get to have. And I feel like there's a sort of, there's a, a release and a, a huge sense of relief getting to see it uh, shown on the pages in this comic. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great message. It sends a great message to, you know, young kids who are, who are trying to come out. And like, it, it also speaks to the importance of like having there to be someone who's like, you can talk to about this and talk to who understands like what you're going through and like how, how meaningful and important it is to have that someone. Just someone to, just someone to show you that you're normal, really. Yeah, and you know, you see, you see when the kid is talking and Mike and like, you see like, just this wave of relief coming about him and then this, he bursts out into tears and it's just like Mike, you know, puts a hand on his shoulder as he's crying. It's like, you know, just being, yeah, it's just, just the experience. It's powerful of, stuff. Yeah. This comic actually does, uh, uh, tearful scenes really well as well in general. Like, it's, it, I feel like it doesn't come up enough in the series, but it's been a very short amount of time since, uh, since Mike's husband and you know, she's brother, like, actually passed away. And grief isn't really part of the series. Like, it's been, it, it was either one month or two months. I'm afraid about picking up my phone. I can't check. Um, but like, it takes until quite far into the volume and for Mike to be drunk for there to really be any display of grief for both him and Yaichi. And it's, it's strong and, and very subtly done on Yaichi's part. They just, they show, um, the, the moon as seen through watery eyes. Yeah. And I, that, I was, I was confused about that for a second. That, that took me a little bit to realize what was going yeah, on there. Which I feel like is how it should be because, because you don't expect him to cry either because of how he's been through the whole series. And so like just having to think about what's happening there, I think made it 
better. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would agree, actually. I, I just took it as one of those things where it's like, you know, because Yaichi's been shown to be sort of stoic and not really want to freely express himself as much as the other people around him are. I mean, they, they literally introduced him at the start of the series, like the very, very start of the series, as the one who doesn't emotionally react. Yeah, he didn't stuff. cry at his parents' funeral. Yeah, like, that's their lead-off point, is to be like, oh, he's the one that doesn't cry. I mean, he's he's kind of emotionally stunted in a way. He doesn't know how to express, like, his real feelings and, like, l- and express his grief. Which might play into other things. Like, again, they, they intimate uh, his abuse in his previous marriage. And you think, like, how much is that also related to the fact that he's just not an emotionally open person? Like, what is there that he couldn't deal with at the time that led to that? There's, there's so much to unpack about this comic. Like, Guy, I, I'm wide-eyed right now. Like, it is... Like, before we went into this, it was my favourite comic of the year. Now we've actually talked about it for a bit. It might just be one of my favourite comics full stop. Yeah. Yeah, this, this honestly... I mean, I want to say depending on how it ends, because I obviously haven't finished it yet. Um, but I... God, I want to read the second half of this as soon as I can. Um, but for, for formality's sake, I should say, you know, depending on how it ends, this could actually become, like... This this will probably go in my superficial like top ten favorite manga of all time. Honestly, like this is this is this is becoming one of my favorite comics of all time. To be perfectly honest, like I'm really I'm just I'm just kind of shocked at how well really deals with its subject matter. Yeah, I'm I'm at you there that I'm gonna have to reorganize my favorites list because you know between this and lesbian experience, oh boy, this is this is oh I kept saying ordeal. <laughs> Sorry, did like this whole episode I keep saying ordeal instead of experience, which totally changes uh, yeah. the meaning of that title. <laughs> oh. Again, I'm going to throw this out here. Kids, if you read your comics on your phone because it's more convenient than having them on your shelves, that does mean you're going to get the names of stuff wrong a lot. <laughs> because uh, phones mess with microphones, so I've not been able to check anything while talking. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, this is just this is just a good series, and I think I would put this in the same category as a Silent Voice, where I feel like this is a series that everybody should read. Yeah, I would say this about both my brother's husband and my lesbian experiences that I really wish like this yes. was these were books that like got into the hands of a lot of people, people that don't even read manga, got into some school libraries because these teach some really important like life lessons that are especially going to be really valuable for, you know, young, young people who are confused about these things. And like, it, it just has such great messages that I, and I think these are the kind of stories that like anyone can, read and like empathize with and like it can really open a lot of minds as well i I feel like these are the sort of books that have the potential to be in 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 schools you know like yeah you you look at other books that have like become such integral parts of uh of comics history for the sort of stories they tell and again my brother's husband could somehow release like the second book and it's terrible but that feels unlikely for some reason. <laughs> Almost like this first book was so good. But like, I, I, I feel like there's, there's teachable lessons and analysis you can do on these that put them not quite on the same level as books like Mouse and Barefoot Again, where the historical context I feel like keeps them a little bit above. But these are definitely the sort of essential graphic novels that should be 
on a on a pedestal forever that that transcends the comic medium. If you want to go and be a hoity-toity academic who looks down on, I definitely things, yeah, you know? I definitely think the social messages espoused in these books are on par with the you know historical like insights books like Mouse and Barefoot Gang give. I definitely think they're equally valuable, and you know, mm. and uh, they should be widely distributed and like get into the hands of a lot of people like. And I, you know, these books have been getting a lot of praise from people outside of the manga field. Like, you look at the back of My Brother's Husband, Volume 1, like, the pull quotes are, like, from, you know, are comments from Alison Bechdel, author of Fun Home, and uh, renowned comics artist. You also got Anderson Cooper of CNN, who, you know... That that one floored me. Like, as far as, like, an interesting get, like, outside of comics... I feel like that's a really good one. And they and they even get it. I got an actual kid to give like a, a quote, or at least I I assume this is an actual kid. E- either a kid or someone with a very weird fetish, judging by the full quote. Yeah. It's like because they're like, oh yeah, this is really good, and I'm a kid, so I should know. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh god, I hope they're a kid. <laughs> oh god, but yeah. In, in fact, now that Alison Bechdel's been mentioned, like, there's another thing that this should. This should be out there as much as Dykes to Watch Out For or Fun Home. Yeah. Like, they're, they're that good. But I, I think that's about it. Really, if you, if, you, if you take anything away from this podcast, you should really read both works. Like, I, th- I, think, I think it's safe to say that we, like, highly recommend both of these works and that everybody should go read them. Mm-hmm. I really wish that this comics environment we have now where I feel like these manga are being embraced... I really wish this existed when Fantagraphics started releasing Wandering Sun. Yes, yes. Because yeah. that might have made it past eight volumes. Like, I know there were other factors, but that, that strikes me as a book that should, that should be featured on the same level as these two, as like huge things. And sadly is just only had half the series released. <laughs> like, oh, that's tragic. I, I thought those were like, weren't there two in ones? I thought they were pretty big books. I I don't know if they were touring ones, but they definitely did not finish the series, uh, citing low sales, uh, an uninterested wider audience, and whisper it, scanlations. Oh, uh, did not, my god! Did not help them finish releasing it. Which I I'm not using this as a moment to take a platform on that because you'll do you. Like I I talk about this stuff enough on Twitter. But God, God, do I wish that they finished releasing Wandering Sun. Gosh dang it. Darn it, Scanlations. Darn. Man. Uh, yeah. Uh, but th- for what is out, you should definitely check out that series as well. Very important. Yeah, let's, 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 just, let's just be happy that I think we're, we're, we live in a better time in terms of, I think, the manga and just comics industry in general. Oh, definitely. That, Absolutely. That, that, that this stuff is able to be widely released. Which means that I can uh, I can get back to my activities of the last couple of years, which is uh, trying to get my favourite LGBT uh, manga book licensed and released in the US. Because God knows I have pestered a good few publishers uh, trying to sell them on the virtues of Bokrano Hentai, and well, one day, one day they'll release it. And a market that's accepting books like this, you know, it might be interested in an amazing ten volume series about gender identity. Yeah, we definitely need more comics like this that tackle these subjects out here in the West. What 
I, I just wanted an opportunity there. That, that was just my clever little way of just trying to sneak in a, a plug for another LGBT book that people should read. So I'm clever like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Huh. Um, but I, th- I think unless we have anything else to say, I think that might do it for the episode. I think so. This was a great discussion. We're all super passionate about these books, If in case you couldn't tell. And yeah, obviously we highly recommend them. These are two of the best books of the year. Isn't it just really nice to like talk about books that we all feel positively about? Yes. Like, I, I feel like it's, it's, just, it's just a real good time. Yes. I, I'm the worst at comics negativity. Like As much as I uh, crapped all over Cross Account earlier... Like, to comics that you can just love without reservation are, are such a good time. And, I mean, that's part of why these books are, are books that people should be reading. Is They're just, they're, they're good, 100% good books. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm beside myself. It, it, it feels so rare that there's comics where you just don't really have much, in a way, negative stuff to say, or at the least where... The, the, the passion and the joy you have for the book, like, overrides everything else. So, these, these books are special. Definitely. Oh, yes. This podcast is special, guys. <laughs> we had a, we had a happy time. It's a special <laughs> podcast. Yeah. I'm trying to find, like, the most saccharine ending here. <laughs> Perhaps the real My Brother's Husbands were the friends we made along the way. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you're not sick of hearing, you know, the discussion about these series, I am planning to link on two other, like, great podcasts that discussed them uh, recently. One from Wave Motion Con and, and one from Manga Machinations, where they actually got the uh, translator of the se- of My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness on to talk about it. So I, I, f- I kind of want to sp- spread the word and, word and link to other great discussions of these series because they they really do deserve a lot of discourse and a lot of attention. And yeah, I just wanted to continue to celebrate that. Um, but I think with all that said, um, Maxi, thank you so much for coming on the show once again. It's always a pleasure. It totally distracts from the lack of stuff I do myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, spe- speaking of stuff you do, you want to you want to plug what, whatever you're doing at the moment, or your website, or it, pl- uh, pl- pl- plug your stuff because your stuff is great. Yeah, there's not a huge amount to plug at the moment. I'm I'm currently uh, updating both uh, FrenchPreffectVictory.com and the podcast feed with what's uh, being called Not A New Episode, which is mostly me trying to annoy people, but it's just an opportunity for me to talk about uh, manga stuff more generally. Like, it's it's not specifically jump-focused, though it's not been, it's not been removed from jump so far. Uh, and I've, I've got a couple of those going. I... I'm hoping by the time this goes up, I will have an episode up about piracy. Oh, is it going to be that rap that I challenge you to make? Uh, well, that's going to be a separate thing, but that, <laughs> that is going to happen. I've, I've been, I've been having a lot of fun playing with the ideas there, and I've, I've got some things I'm going to try and do, and it, it should be, that should be interesting. Uh, the problem with trying to do, uh, uh just a, a scriptless, chat about piracy is the conversation on Twitter in particular has been so vibrant and ongoing lately to this difficult issue. I'm not, I'm not going to say it's gray or black and white. It's, I I don't think anyone can ultimately decide what sort of issue it is because it's the conversation is so, I I don't want to say endless like a bad thing because it's not a bad thing. 
But every couple of days, there'll be some new angle or some new thing being said about comics piracy that just becomes an interesting new avenue to explore. So for like the last, the last two weeks, I found myself unable to finish recording an episode that I have started putting together because I keep wanting to say new things too. <laughs> the, the, the way I see it, if I feel like if the issue were really that black and white, I feel like we still wouldn't be having this discussion today. Yeah. Oh, totally. I think the only reason I hesitate to call it a grey area is because what most people are meaning when they're saying the shades of grey no, is, yeah, let right. me keep doing what I want. Yeah. I, I, under- which, I understand. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, this, this, is, this is like the... Uh, the Amazon anime strike conversation as well. There's, there's no easy answers. Despite the fact anime strike isn't a good service, it's also got people arguing against it or using it as justification to pirate yeah. through really disingenuous arguments, like how it's $99 for Prime, which isn't a breakdown that works because that's for a whole year. You can't use that as your argument without being genuine enough to go and say what the monthly cost is. Mm-hmm. Because you're comparing it to monthly subscription services. Uh, but it, it's not a good service, but that's just a, a similar topic, despite not being that similar a topic. Yeah, our circles are really heated up about both of those things right now. And it's it's a conversation that will, you know, pro- uh, that we that we're still have to, like, really figure out. And I think, like, you can't, like, really discuss it in a one-and-done way. I think it is an ongoing conversation that we're going to keep have to come back to. Yeah. And in fact, if you want to follow the ongoing conversation, I'm having a lot of it over on Twitter at Maxi the Bee. I said that in so smoothly, it was like silk. Beautiful transition. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> but uh, that, that was all my plugs. <laughs> yeah, go 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 follow Maxi's website at Friendship Effort Victory. Um, I've I have been a pretty pretty big fan of Maxi's work for a couple of years and I really enjoy his stuff and if I if I didn't enjoy his stuff I I wouldn't advocate for him to be on the show as often as he is so again thank you thank you so much Maxi for coming on and I hope we can have you on uh soon in the future for something else absolutely I'll, I'll try and continue to have opinions about comics uh but Sid I guess you could plug your stuff too yeah, you can find me at Lamramayasha on Twitter and as Lamramayasha basically everywhere that I have an account, mainly animation revelation and my anime list. I'm being a little more active there recently. And I'm also writing a lot more reviews for allcomic.com these days, including reviews for my lesbian experience with loneliness and my brother's husband, which I'll have linked with this podcast page on allcomic.com. So definitely you can check those out as well. I'm enjoying getting back into the swing of writing about manga again, and you can expect a lot of reviews about uh, iShow 21, which I'm reading all of through this month. Ooh, there you go. Um, yeah, definitely go follow all Sid stuff too. But um, if you want to follow me in particular, I'm Colton. You can find me at on Twitter at SniperKing323. That's S-N-I-P-E-R-K-I-N-G-323. Uh, I also do a lot of other podcasts, as I've mentioned on the show before. Basically, if you're a fan of Gintama, go listen to Life Lessons, the Gintama manga cast at gintalifelessons.wordpress.com. Or if you're a fan of Case Closed or Detective Conan, uh, go follow One Podcast Prevails at onepodcastprevails.wordpress.com. I really enjoy doing both of those shows. Um, or, if, you know, if you want to find our podcast just in general, uh, we post every episode of Manga Mavericks over at all-comic.com. We post every episode there first, obviously. 
Uh, you can also follow All Comic on Facebook.com slash All.Comic or on Twitter.com slash All Comic underscore. Uh, but if you want to follow the, like, Manga Mavericks specifically, um, you can find our Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks. Uh, definitely tweet at us or whatever and we'll, re- we'll read it on the show. Just just follow us for basically possibly the quickest updates on the show you'll you could probably get. Um, you can also follow us on mangamavericks.tumblr.com as well. We post updates on there as well. You can also email us anything about the podcast. Uh, what do you think about my lesbian experience with loneliness and my brother's husband? Um, or what do you think of uh, Maxi Bernard and his stuff? Uh, s- send us an email about... <laughs> I'm so worried about that. <laughs> Uh, you know, send us your thoughts in an email about any any of what I just listed at uh, mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's probably called by now. I don't know. I don't keep it. It's, it's iTunes. We all know it's iTunes. Yeah, also uh, subscribe to our YouTube page. Just search for Manga Mavericks. Uh, remember, guys, we need those 100 subscribers to get that custom URL. And also, watch time is important, so make sure to watch our content on there, and that will help the channel grow. Yes, definitely definitely follow us on YouTube for all of our extra content. Uh you know, we, we, we might have one or two things coming up. I don't know. Um, just making assumptions. I probably shouldn't say stuff like that because, because Sid mostly runs that. I don't, but. Yes, there will be stuff coming up. I have plans. Yes. So definitely look forward to those. Yes. Sid always has something in the works <laughs> and it all, and it, and it scares me, it frightens me. Um, <laughs> um, like, like, like epic rap battles, apparently. That was, that was a nice surprise. <laughs> I literally did not tell Colton about it until, like, the minute I posted it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think that's going to be about it for the show. Uh, definitely join us next time for another episode of Manga Mavericks on allcomic.com. Bye, guys. Bye, Inara. <laughs> <laughs>